Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the flagship podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. You do that every week. Every week. And Rich Preach. Like you're indifferent on apples. That's what a what a what a great fruit that you're just letting go by the wayside. What is your fascination with apples? They're fantastic. It's the fall. It's the apple season, man. And we are live here on the flagship podcast. I'm Rich Creech. He's Joe Lanza. Joe, what's happening? How you doing? I'm doing well. Doing well. We have a uh, a mystery topic show. <laughs> a mystery vortex, yeah. I, I do also, there's there's Christmas music playing on in the background. You you can't hear it, but the folks in the no-dope chat room, the live listeners and the podcast listeners can hear it as well in the background. It's going to play the entire time. Uh, just a constant stream of uh, Christmas music in the background will happen the entire three hours of this show. So that's not true. Please don't do that. That's not going to happen. <laughs> this is a uh, a lighthearted show. I you, <laughs> you you have no idea what what mystery. I would yeah. <clears throat> for people that don't know the um, when Joe and I decided we were thinking about <clears throat> you know we were doing a show this week and I'm like I, I don't there's nothing going on. <laughs> I don't know what you want to talk about. And you sent me one response back, and it was in all caps, and it just said "mystery topics." So I have yes. no idea, <laughs> no idea topics. what that means. Listener questions. I have prepared mystery topics. Oh man, should I be worried? I'm, I'm worried. I should be. I, I'm worried. I don't. Know. I think it's a a tremendous potpourri of mystery topics, and it's of course a couple of days before Christmas, so we've got some listener questions. Some of them are Christmas themed sure there'll be some lighthearted Christmas discussion. And as you would want to start off any lighthearted podcast, we start with a, with a guy dying. Yeah. So that <laughs> Unfortunately, that was the word. The, so when we're, I'm getting my notes together and doing all that sort of stuff, I'm thinking, okay, all right, well, we got, you know, we got this, we got this, we got all that sort of stuff. So I'm writing the description for our episode and I'm saying, you know, hey, we're going to have some fun before Christmas. We're going to answer your questions about wrestling and Christmas and da 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 Oh, yeah, and the death of Carl Brokers. <laughs> I was like, well, shit. Like, the only topic we do have that we actually have prepared is the death of, of, of Corporal Kirshner, which we'll talk about here in a bit. But, like, um, yeah, how do you, like, integrate that into the show notes when, like, everything else is like, hey, let's lighthearted, give us your questions, yeah, da 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 Oh, yeah, and a guy died. We're going to talk about a guy dying, so. Merry Christmas! <laughs> Except for Corporal Kirshner. And for him, he will not be having a very Merry Christmas. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to, uh, are we starting with the Corporal Kirshner thing? Should we just get it out of the way right now? I guess so. There's no format here. There's no format. Throwing it all out. Yeah, we've had some people. I know Final Gate is coming up in, in a few days. I know that. I'll be honest. I haven't like 
prepared any wrestling discussions to be honest this week so um i know final gate's happening we'll probably review final gate we're not going to preview it on the show open the voice gate a great place to do that uh this week we were very ill prepared for a show this week uh in terms of actually watching wrestling preparing wrestling and there's really not that much so we have corporal kirshner and final gate (laughs) that's not enough to make a whole show so instead we're gonna do corporal kirshner and then just jack around for another two hours or so which people have been begging for honestly Honestly, if Corporal Kirshner didn't die this week, it may have been an, an, an absolutely zero wrestling. Because, like, we, I asked for questions, and I got half wrestling, half Christmas questions. I think I could legitimately make an entire show of just the Christmas questions if we really, truly wanted to. And I'm going – they're going to get higher priority over the wrestling questions. Because a lot of the wrestling questions are like, ah, you know, who should beat Hangman Page for the title? It's like, I don't I don't know. Who cares? Like, who gives a shit? So, um, if we – you know, we'll get to some of those, but the, the, the Christmas and fun – original creative related questions those are going to get first billing uh, on this show this week so yeah a lot of the questions stink let's be honest i was looking through some of them um you know they're not they're not they're not all thank you paying customers but a lot of them aren't the uh <laughs> the greatest questions so this is going to be a wild one this is going to be a wild and one then you got mystery to i don't um, know all caps mystery topics i have no clue what to even i i guess maybe who we play for with brands, I have no idea what to expect, Joe. Who knows what these mystery topics are going to be? You have you have an idea. I have zero, zero it's idea what those mystery. I don't even know when they're coming. When you're going to interrupt a conversation to bring them up, I have no clue. Zero. I clue. could give I could give you a mystery topic right now if you'd like. Um, I if you want to go corporate Kirshner, or you want to kick it off with a mystery topic, that's fine too. Let's do it. Let's do a mystery topic. Okay. Um, the very first mystery topic is something that's been grinding my gears. So is, is this give... a Festivus-related thing? Is this an airing of grievances or a grinding of a gears? What are we doing here? It's off topic. Okay. It's non-wrestling. Uh, something that's been annoying me. Rich, there's a new Domino's Pizza commercial. A new Domino's if... Pizza commercial. Okay. I don't know if you've seen this commercial. but I'm trying to think if I've seen like... any recent Domino's. I've seen the, uh, the Triple either. Treat Box uh, from Pizza nah, Hut. That, that has me very time. tempted. Very tempted, I will say, the Triple Treat Box. Um, I don't know if I've seen Rich, a recent Domino's commercial, but go ahead. We're talking about Domino's here. Will you please focus? Sorry, We're not talking sorry, about sorry. Pizza Hut. No Pizza Hut triple boxes. Okay. Triple treat. Triple treat uh, box. Triple treat boxes. There's a new Domino's commercial that has really been grinding my gears. Okay. And it opens with like the CEO of Domino's or whoever the fuck. Some suit. Some suit white and, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he starts off the commercial by complaining about delivery apps and how they're hurting the local restaurants as if Domino's gives two shits about local restaurants. And he has like these uh, local restaurant owners come on the commercial to give testimonials. Have you seen this commercial? I haven't. This is pretty. I mean, didn't I mean Domino's is worth like billions upon billions of dollars, right? Like so, 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 so. Work with me here. So he brings on this lady, this Asian lady who four point three billion last year for uh, Domino's Pizza. By the way, revenue. She she owns some local restaurant, and and. I'm paraphrasing her, but she's like, yeah, these delivery apps, they, they, uh, they hit us with all these fees, and they take all this money. It comes right out of our bottom line. And already I'm pounding my fist on the table, and I'll explain why in a minute. So then Domino's CEO man goes on to say that this is outrageous what these delivery apps are doing to the local restaurants. So what Domino's did is they bought like a $100,000 worth of local restaurant gift cards. Oh, good. So that uh, 100000 uh, off top of a little, as you like to say, back of the envelope map, Joe, uh, what's 100000 divided by $4.3 billion? 
I don't even know if it's a hundred thousand gift cards. <laughs> it's probably it? not. It's not a billion. I'll tell you that. Some so. number I gave. He gave. Gives. That's not the yeah, point. So he gives some number of x amount of dollars they've spent on uh, on on these gift cards to the local restaurants. And if you order Domino's with your order, you're gonna get a gift card to one of these local restaurants. And then next time you order pizza, mm-hmm. all right. Next time you order out, if you're not getting Domino's, he says. Order from one of all these local restaurants, and let's get rid of these delivery, these evil delivery apps. Let's stick it to these delivery apps and support our local restaurants. Rich, I have multiple problems with this commercial. Problem number one is this woman in the beginning of the commercial who's claiming that the delivery apps are just destroying her business by taking out all of these delivery app fees that come right out of her bottom And this line. is something that's been bothering you for a while. And it's this it's this delivery app propaganda. And I'm going to get to that at the end of the commercial because I'm going to explain to you why Domino's would be behind this. This woman, and if she really is a local business owner and not an actor, she is the world's worst business owner and a complete dope and a stupid moron. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay? I am in this business. I have signed contracts with delivery apps. And I am here to tell you that delivery apps – are the best thing that has ever happened to local restaurants or any restaurant for that matter. Do you know why they're the best thing to ever happen to restaurants? Because you can outsource your delivery to these dopes, and now I don't have to pay a driver. That's why. Okay? And I don't have to pay somebody to answer the phone because everybody orders on their app. So I save labor by outsourcing the delivery to Uber Eats or Postmates or uh, DoorDash. Grubhub, yeah. Go right down the line. It's great for a restaurant operator. It's the best innovation to come down the line for restaurant operators that I can think of in decades. This is awesome. It helps us put more money to the bottom line. So you're probably thinking, Rich, well, then what is this woman talking about with the delivery app fees that are crippling her business? Yes, the apps take a percentage. Of course, they're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart. They're in business. Okay, so if I sit down with a delivery app and they want to do business with me and let's say Uber Eats for the sake of this argument says, Joe, I want to do business with your restaurants. I say, "Okay, what's your proposal? And they say, we want a 20 percent cut. I say, "Okay, that's fine. But you know what I do, Rich? I jack my prices up 20 percent for the menu items that are on the app. Why do you think when you go on a delivery app, everything is more expensive than when you just walk into the restaurant? Because we raise our prices by that percentage to cover the fee that the delivery app uh, uh, takes for their cuts. So if this woman in the commercial isn't raising her prices on the app, she's a moron and she deserves to go out of business. Okay? She's an idiot. You raise your prices whatever percentage the app is charging you for their fee. This is why when you go on there and there's a, a, a plate of food that normally costs $12.99 at your favorite restaurant, it's $16 on the app. That's the fee. That's the cut that the delivery that's the cut that we're paying the delivery app to deliver. Right. It well, and also like if you're not if you're losing money, you could just not be on it, right? You could just say I don't want to. If you realize, oh crap, I made a bad deal here. Are you locked into this, like, ironclad contract that you have to accept orders from these apps? Good question, Rich. No. Okay. Uber, 
a driver from Uber Eats can't walk into your restaurant and say, <laughs> steal food from you and say, no, hey, somebody demands Egg Foo Young. I am taking this Egg Foo Young from you right now. Correct. Oh. You have to have a contract with these people. Okay? And when you sign that contract, unless you're a complete idiot, you're, you're, you're working that markup into the price of the item in the app. That's why all the items are so, uh, are so expensive when you order off of the app. Because that's the money going to the, uh, to the deliver to to the to 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 cover the to pay the driver and everybody else, uh, for the uh for the people work for the app. That's the cut that they're taking. You're working that markup into the price. It's propaganda, and it's not just Domino's doing this. You see people tweeting it all the time and and everything else. Okay, and again, these apps can't force you to do business with them. If I don't want to do business with Uber Eats or DoorDash or Postmates, I don't have to do business with them. And I could continue delivering myself or not delivering at all. So this is all propaganda and nonsense. And every time this commercial comes on, I scream and I yell and I curse and I spit. And my wife's getting tired of it. <laughs> well, and so, the, uh, the no of chat room brings up a very interesting point, too. You know, if these are truly localized businesses and, and, and local restaurants, like, they probably don't have gift cards. Like, I worked at several local places that would never even have had anything close to a gift card. At well, their location, know, so that brings me to the Domino CEO, Rich. Are you are you telling me I'm gonna I'm gonna look up this man's name so we make sure that uh... I don't listen. I don't know if it's the, on the commercial. If it's yeah, the let's CEO just bury that guy not. too. I'm sure he's a jury. A Richard E. Allison Jr. Yeah, I don't know, but here's my point. This looks like the type of guy who would be in one of these commercials. Just just telling you, he he kind of looks like a. Now that all of our listeners understand how delivery apps work and how these are actually great for restaurants, now do you understand how these are great for restaurants? I don't have to pay a driver. I don't have to pay someone to answer my phone. Someone else is doing that labor for me. Someone else is paying the delivery person. Why would I not? Let me tell you something. As someone who oversees restaurants, restaurant operators want you to use that app. Do not believe this propaganda that restaurants want you to order directly from the restaurant. No. Then I have to pay someone to answer the phone. Then I have to pay somebody to deliver it. I'd rather let someone else handle that and outsource it. And let them take their 20% cut because I'm going to mark the prices up anyway to cover that. Okay? And people are willing to use the apps and they're willing to pay the markup because they just want the convenience. They know they're getting – they want the convenience. But anyway, I have never worked for Domino's, full disclosure. But I have worked for multiple Domino's competitors. You know this, Rich. Of course. I have worked for multiple competitors of Domino's Pizza. Okay? Uh, I can tell you that conservatively, based on what I know about the the big pizza industry, Rich, big pizza, conservatively, eighty oh, yeah. <laughs> percent very... of Domino. I, I can tell I can tell you more about big pizza than most people. Okay, conservatively, eighty percent of Domino's business is delivery, and that's con- and I guarantee you it's higher than that. Oh, for but sure. Let's work with that number. Yeah, no, that, and I think that's probably having. I, I I've worked for Little Pizza. I worked for the Little Man, the small business pizza. But uh, yeah, I, I yeah. can tell you for sure that I, I, that Domino's is is got to be. I mean, their entire business was based off it. That's how they competed in the marketplace. You know, was the the fast delivery, the quick delivery, the noise. You know, the, the thirty minutes or less. Like that is how they made their mark in the industry. So yeah, it, 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 and it's still to this day is similar to that. They have no di- They have no. They have no dining rooms. Um, they have minimal takeout. Now they always try to beef up their takeout. If you notice, Domino's has incredible takeout deals. $5 pizzas, two for $7. Because they, they, they want you to come pick it up. Why? Because they don't want to pay drivers. Because paying drivers is a pain in the ass. Anyway, 
So let's work with that figure. Let's say that 80% of Domino's business is delivery, and that's conservative. Wouldn't it be, why would it be in Domino's best interest to spread propaganda about delivery apps? Because the delivery apps are Domino's direct competition now. Because when you sit down and decide you don't feel like cooking, or mom doesn't feel like cooking, or you're hungry and want a midnight snack, and you go on your phone, you Domino's with Uber Eats yeah. and Postmates and all of these delivery apps. They're not just competing with Pizza Hut and, uh, and Papa John's and whoever the fuck anymore. So it's to their advantage to spread this propaganda about the delivery app that because everybody hates the people behind the delivery apps. It's the fucking tech boys and fucking Silicon Valley and all these stuff. No one likes those people. OK, so it's very easy to spread propaganda about the delivery apps and get people to buy into it. And it's to Domino's business advantage to do so because those are the people who are killing Domino's. Right, right. right. Because you you get a meal from a good restaurant delivered to you. Right. Like five years ago, you would have had to sit down and and, and all you would have been able to get at, you know, midnight or 11 p.m. or whatever is, you know, Domino's or a local delivery place. But now, yeah, you can punch up anything. As long as it's open, they they can get it to you. Yes. So... That's why you're seeing this propaganda being spread by Domino's with these commercials because that's their direct competition now in addition to all the other uh, pizza competition that already existed. So, uh, Well, I, I for one – Joe, I, I for one cannot believe that a $4.3 billion uh, company would be using small businesses <laughs> in, a, in an advantageous way to their bottom line. So I, I, I think you're off base here, Joe. That's impossible. Impossible. You know, I'm wondering Richard Allison – what was it? Richard E. Allison Jr. or whatever. I think he's – he, he wants to help the little guy in Poughkeepsie. He doesn't care about, you know, Grubhub and stuff. He cares about the, the Chinese restaurant in Poughkeepsie. I'm just, I'm just wondering if that woman at the beginning of the commercial really is the worst business person of all time and isn't marking up her items and is legitimately <laughs> it's, it's losing money. Possible. Or if they did the old let's chop up her quotes and make that sound like what she's saying, she could be someone who owns a restaurant – doesn't do business with delivery apps and she's mad because of all of her competitors are using the apps and she's losing business but the way that they chopped up her state you know what i mean it could be that too either way she's stupid though just do business with the apps then it's good for you it works for you if you're not running a delivery business to begin with well now you are and you don't have to pay the drivers if you were running a delivery business you can get rid of all your drivers now and let's and outsource it to someone else and before the Karl Marx Wikipedia page people come at me and say that all these drivers are going to lose jobs, no, they're not because they're going to go work for Uber Eats. There's more delivery jobs than ever out there. You don't have to work for Big Pizza. You can work for DoorDash or Uber Eats, and you can make your own hours. You can work when you want. You don't have to deal with a boss. You don't have to wash dishes in between deliveries. You don't have to uh, sweep floors and answer phones. You can sit in your car and listen to podcasts, and you can go home if you feel like it. And you just flip on the app when you feel like working. It's better for the worker. Everything about delivery apps is better for everyone. Stop believing the propaganda. So, uh, Joe, it, it, it's, I don't even know if it's – because I went to restaurantbusinessonline.com, and there's a, a long article about this in November. Uh, and they have a quote from CEO Rich Allison. So I guess that, – is that the same guy I mentioned before? Either, either way. And it says, frankly – this is in July that he said this. Frankly, the biggest competition over the long term for us in delivery – is that third-party aggregator channel. Oh, 
Oh, what a surprise! Back in November, and now they're running commercials with propaganda in them against the fucking apps. So what I've seen, what I've seen recently, and by the way, I don't use any of those apps because I'm a cheapskate, as you know. So I rather just drive and pick these things up instead of paying sixteen bucks for the yeah. food that I know is only twelve dollars. Um, they're also doing. I did see now it, it, this this you know the, reading this article made me remember that I had actually just seen a Domino's thing, not the one that you're talking about, the gift card one. Maybe that's a localized one, but I've seen this thing where they're doing surprise freeze. Have you heard about surprise freeze, Joe? Yes, yes. Yeah. So you order something from their their delivery, and then they come, and it's like you open a box, and there's a brownie in there, and they're like, oh – Hey, surprise free. And you're like, oh, cool, yeah. thanks. Great. And, and, and you know why they're innovating in this way and getting desperate and giving away free food, which they do not want to do. <laughs> right. Yeah, they don't want to give it's you a free brownie out of the kindness of their heart. Again, I don't believe the $4.5 billion company out of the kindness of their heart is giving you a free brownie. So It's because the delivery apps are whipping their ass. That's why. And that's why they're running the propaganda campaign. And I'm here to tell you, anyone who's worried about local restaurants – if your local restaurant is on one of these apps, it's better for you to use the app. I'm not telling you to go spend the extra 20% because we don't mind if you walk in and buy it at the counter. We don't mind if you call us and order it directly from us. But it's actually better for us if you use the app. And I want to make sure everybody knows that. I'm going to do my little part to counterbalance this nonsense, this propaganda. And it's not just Domino's, but man, does that commercial piss me off. Rich? That was mystery topic. Mystery number topic one. number one. Joe rants about Domino's <laughs> propaganda delivery app commercials. There you go. All right. So that's mystery topic number one. Uh, you want to go questions? You want to go Corporal Kirshner? What do you want to do here? Uh, we got no ads either, so we're 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 on, and and this is it. This let's is do it. A question. How about let's a do question? a question? All right. Well, we should do this every week. This is tremendous. This is great. Yeah, you don't have to watch anything. <laughs> it's it's just no. talk. Yeah. That's... This is fantastic. Yeah, you just have to get mad about stuff. It's 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 not hard uh, at all. All right, so this uh, comes from James. All these questions: patreon.com slash voices of wrestling. Also, flagship patreon.com. Uh, that is now a dot com. You can go to nice and easy. Patreon.com uh, slash voices of wrestling. Voices of wrestling.com slash patreon. Or as I said, flagship patreon.com. James asks: uh, Do you guys still enjoy Christmas as adults as much as you did when you were kids, or does it lose some of its magic as you get older? And I think you and I have come from different places from this a little bit. Obviously, as kids, it's one thing. Christmas is a thing. As adults without children, it's obviously one thing. And now you are somebody who has children. So uh, let me ask you. I'll ask you first, then I'll answer there. Do you still enjoy as much as you did as an adult, as much as you did as a kid, or, or is that magic kind of gone? No, I enjoy Christmas. I like Christmas. Now, do you enjoy it more or less because you have the kids as well? The kids help. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm reaching a point where I'm starting to not care as much about it. You know what I mean? It's kind of just like, yeah, eh, yeah. you know, I, once you become like, you know, your 30s, you're just kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, all right. Oh, all right. Well, you know, you and the nurse got to get Yeah, yeah we'll That's, see. You know. Well, we'll see. See, it used I don't to need be the magic never. that bad. I don't need the magic of Christmas see, that bad. It, so. it used to be, oh, never. That's never going to happen. Now it's, uh, we'll see. So, you know, I think we're inching towards it here. <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting there. We're creeping. See? See? It's good stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, as a kid, I, I don't know if you can ever really rebottle it as a kid. But, you, you know, I don't know. As an adult, I think it's a little bit easy. Because to me, as an adult, it probably lasts a little bit longer. Because you can kind of control when you want it to happen. You can kind of control what you want to do and whatnot. But I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Is it? I think it's about the same. I mean. It evolves over time. But I think it's about the same. I enjoy the feeling as you approach Christmas 
and then sort of that like tomorrow's the tomorrow to me is the best day. There's sort of that uh, you know a lot of people aren't working. I used to do all my Christmas shopping on Christmas Eve, like a cycle. Perfect, yeah, exactly. Of course you would. <laughs> I, I would go to the mall on Christmas Eve, and just because I like the pressure of having to get it done, combined with just the atmosphere of it all, the hysteria. But, you like uh, the you live for the hysteria a little bit. I like the hysteria, and I like the pressure. I operate better that way. Like if it's December 9th, and I'm like, ah, I got to get a gift for my whoever the fuck. I don't know what to do. But if it's Christmas Eve and the mall's closing in 47 minutes, I can, I, I can, I can get, I can figure out what to get them, and I can get it done. And I feel like I've accomplished something when I'm getting back in the car, and I'm like, man, I got it done again. Another year of uh, of right under the gun. But I haven't done that in many years. Now I just open up the laptop. Uh, about a week before Christmas, order everything on Amazon and uh, voicesofwrestling.com/slash/amazon, of course. That's right, because you and would I'll, never forget I'll... that and order without, yeah, helping us, you know. And I'm done in 20 minutes. And on top of that, I buy gifts that I would never buy if I had to actually buy them in a store. Like, I am not walking into a women's clothing store and buying a dress. But will I buy that on Amazon for my wife? Absolutely. But I can't do. I can't walk in a store and be like. For whatever reason, like buy a dress. It's weird. I don't know. It's like a weird feeling. Like I can't – I could. I would never be able to do that. So it also opens up a different range of gift opportunities for the people I'm buying gifts for. So there you go. So, so again, evolving – the evolving state of, of, yes. of the Christmas uh, season for me. Yeah, and, and for me it's like less – you know, now that I'm I'm older, like it, it's that weird thing that the giving of the presents and like, you know, doing that – because I don't care. I, I tell people all the time. And that is a question later uh, about, you know – getting presents for for Pete and for me and i'm just like i don't do whatever dude give me whatever i don't care it's not that big of a deal we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit because someone has a specific question about that but like now i i kind of enjoy getting gifts for people you know trying to fit i i, I do it throughout the the month I'll, I'll think about stuff or little things that people said like you know fun, fun i i try to do thoughtful gifts but not necessarily a ton of gifts i just try to do like a couple thoughtful gifts but i like doing that i like giving to people at work i like giving to you know friends and family or whatever so i don't know i i, I still find it kind of fun to do that but uh the opening of the, the receiving of stuff i don't care anymore by 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 the time christmas day comes i just kind of want to watch basketball and, and be done with it and if I've given all my gifts, everybody's happy. All right, cool, good, good, good. But yeah, I don't really care about opening gifts. Anymore I'm, un- I'm uncomfortable receiving gifts. Yeah, I hate I, it. I hate it. It's weird. And everyone's like looking at me, and I'm like, I, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, I, right. A, a psychiatrist could probably really have a dig deep on that, but I, I've my whole life been uncomfortable with receiving gifts. I would just as well get nothing. I just, I, I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. Well, I always um, like, I'm always like worried. I'm like, how much did you spend on that? Like, you didn't have to do that. Like, you didn't have to, I always feel bad that somebody got me a gift. <laughs> I don't know. Are you the same way where there's like a guilt that you have after you get a gift from someone? And there shouldn't my, be. Like, why do I have a guilt about you buying me? But like, I'm like, ah, why, why'd you do this? Why'd you? And they're like, I, I bought you a sweater for Christmas. It's not that big of a deal. And I'm like, ah, you, you really didn't have to. You didn't have to. I wouldn't describe it as guilt. But it is just this weird feeling that I don't want to be doing this right now, like opening this. I don't know. It's just it's hard for me to explain. But you know what's weird is TLB will ask me for a Christmas list and I won't give her one because I'm like, that's not the magic of Christmas. I need to be surprised (laughs) even though I don't want anything. (laughs) But you don't want anything and you don't want to be surprised. Yeah. So she's like, but you don't you always say you don't want anything like you're a hypocrite. I'm like. That doesn't matter. I'm still. I'm not giving you a list. Yeah. Oh no, 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 no. Lists. Forget the list. If you have to give me a list, then what are we doing here? What are we doing? Yeah. I agree. I'm a a very anti-Christmas list person because I I should just know what you need or know what you want or know you well enough that if you're handing me a list of shit, get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here. 
In her defense, I'm incredibly hard to get gifts for. Because I am maybe the worst person to get gifts for. I, am. I don't wear jewelry. I don't. I'm not an accessory guy. Like I would never like wear accessories. I, I've I've never owned a watch. Um, I don't like putting things on my body. I'm not like a. Uh, I don't have a lot of. Um, I don't have a lot of hobbies that would be easy to buy. I am an impossible person to buy gifts for. I, Rich, I want for nothing. I really don't want anything. Like if I wanted something, I'd buy it myself, and I, don't, I never buy myself anything. I'm a pretty simple guy. You know, I want to sit on the couch. I want to watch my games with a Coke Z in my hand. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't really want things. So I'm really hard to buy gifts for. So I'm really a pain when it comes to Christmas. Yeah, well, and there's also the other aspect, too, that, like, once you're an adult, you just, like, buy Steve, everything. Steve, hold on. I don't mean to cut you off. Here's the commercial. His name is Steve Dolan. Steve Dolan. Let's find out. Let's bury Steve Dolan. Steve Dolan Dominoes. Okay, All the right. commercial just came on during this football game. Let's get this woman's name in her restaurant, too. Steve Dolan is so. a Denver-area Domino's franchisee. Okay, so he's a franchisee. Now, the woman in the commercial who tells this stupid tale of how these apps are putting her out of business. <laughs> um, her name is Irene Lee. Irene L-I, Lee. And she owns May May Dumplings in Boston, Massachusetts. And it says real owners, not actors. May May Dumplings in for- Boston, you said? Boston? Yeah. Now, if she's got fucking Grubhub on her fucking Let's find website, out. Let's Let's... May May in Boston, Massachusetts. May May Boston. Let's see here. Um, farm focused, woman owned. It doesn't appear to be a. Uh oh, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. It doesn't appear to be like a place to go. I don't know. It doesn't. It looks like a. Looks like you just walk in and, and, and get dumpling. It doesn't look like a restaurant as much. You May see what May I'm saying? Dumplings. So. It's as I suspected. She's mad because everybody else is using the apps and it's hurting her business. It's not because the apps are taking her money away like it implies in the in the commercial. That's what's happening. Anyway, she annoys me. She's full of shit. <laughs> and, and so are all these people. 110,000 gift cards, it says. Okay, so you can, you can walk in. You can walk in and get some stuff from there. But it's not – yeah, it, it's – I don't know. It doesn't look like a very uh... – it's not very restauranty, I guess I should say. It, it seems like you go in, you get the dumplings, you leave type of thing. Hold on, I want to hear exactly what she says. They take a huge chunk out of our bottom line. All of that goes out of our pocket and goes to them, is what she says okay. in the commercial, which is a blatant lie. But um, yeah, then she doesn't make another appearance. I, I will say, true to her, she there. I, there is not a, a anything about uh, Grubhub or, or DoorDash or anything on her website. So, does Irene Lee realize that she can charge whatever she wants for her items on the app? Does she well, realize that? Probably. <laughs> you have to talk to uh, May May Dumplings and Irene Lee uh, on that. But uh, yeah, so the other the guy you mentioned is a Denver area franchisee, and I, I see the picture now. He's got a stack of gift cards. I don't think I get that commercial by us, but I don't know. I don't. Maybe I don't watch it enough. So. Is are are you is this on the uh, what what game are you are you are you watching the um, San Francisco and Tennessee? Oh, I'm watching the Union Home Mortgage Garasparilla Bowl or something. Whatever the fuck it is. I what are the what are the classic bowl games that we all remember? All our great memories of the Gasparilla Bowl or whatever the hell it is. So yeah, no, 
no, fuck that. <laughs> you, I, I don't even know who's playing. I think it's oh, uh, Florida and UCF appear to be playing in this uh, Gasparilla Bowl here. Yeah. But the um, now with the kids, and they're, they're in the sweet spot because they're, uh, they're five years old. So they're in the sweet spot. So there is a certain joy in them, you know, waking you up in the morning. And because they're all wide-eyed because they went downstairs and saw that Santa came. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, he came, he came. Because you know me. I mean, all week I'm harassing them. I'm like, you think he's coming? I don't know. Remember when you, uh... <laughs> right, you're giving him a hard time and shit? Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> like, hey, you guys haven't been that good this year. I, I don't know. It's possible. He's pretty busy these days. You know what? Oh, what, I bring up all the what with they COVID. You know who knows? Who knows if he's even able to come this year? <laughs> I bring up specific times they were bad. <laughs> March twentieth. Yeah. Do you recall on March twentieth? Yeah. Remember when you guys were fighting at uh, at your grandmother's house and I told you Santa wasn't coming? You know he sees everything. You know, you sure he's coming? So I make them a little nervous, like all week that we're so they're not sure whether he's going to show up or not. Because then when they go downstairs and, and see that uh, Santa did, in fact, arrive, uh, you know, that's just, uh, you know, it's like you remember when you were a kid. When yeah. You oh, and up. that's that's what I say. You can't replace that magic is never going to come back. Like, I I, yeah. I don't wake up on Christmas and go, oh, man, I cannot wait to see what my wife bought me. You know, it's kind of like we, we you know, stumble out of bed and we're like, yeah, hey, should we open gifts? Yeah, yeah, I guess, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, there, you don't have that same magic. And it's because, like, you don't really want or need anything like it's always like fun to open gifts and yeah you get some stuff and okay that's cool you know if you needed it or whatever but yeah i don't like it's not like oh man i can't wait until i get blank because it's like if i just wanted that i would have just gotten it because i'm an adult with a job so i just go and buy stuff so that magic you can't recreate that magic the magic of opening something that that will never come back as an adult so i like to ask them too i'm like we don't have a chimney so how do you think he gets in here i used to present that to my my parents as well and i forget what their uh, response was well, one says the girl says that he has a magic key. That's her answer for mm. that. She thinks he has a magic key. That's stupid. And the the boy, he says that he slides down the wall. I don't know what that means, <laughs> okay. but that's his answer. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my dad was just like, down. "Ah, we just leave the back door open." He just goes through the back door. I'm like, ah, "Okay, seems logical enough." All right, I'm going to bed. Bye. <laughs> so then I'm like, once he gets in here, I'm like, "How come the dog doesn't bark?" I was like, "You know, Madeline barks at everybody when they come out. How come the dog doesn't bark?" And, uh, you know, then they're thinking that through. And then TLB gets mad at me. Yeah, you're like, getting a little gonna... too close. You're getting a little too close to them them debating the idea of it. So She's like, they're going to figure it out. Yeah, you're, 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 giving them, you know? you're presenting them a lot of evidence. <laughs> that doesn't quite work. So I just like to see what they come up with because, you know, it's, it's interesting he to me. He slides you know? down the wall. So, but, but how would he get in the house to slide down the wall? I don't know. Listen, he's so like, you said the boy's not the boy's not a future doctor. So that's all right. No, 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 no. He's, you know, he's going to, you know. He'll be a laborer, I think. But uh, <laughs> hey, they make great. You know, honestly, better idea. No school, right out of high school, you can be making a bunch of money, getting a nice union. Yeah, he should become an electrician. That's that's the way to go. Yeah, no college debt. Yeah, no. Co- I mean, yeah, he will be making a hundred thousand dollars when he's twenty four, and 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 the girl will be you know in medical school, you know, with five hundred thousand dollars in debt, and and yeah, he'll be raking in the dough, living the life. So. Yeah, she yeah she's in kindergarten, and her grades are way too good. I this is a problem. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm concerned with this. She's learning too fast. The teacher's like, ah, she's ahead of everybody else. I'm not happy about that. It's going to cost you a lot of money. It's going to cost you a lot of money down the line. Yeah. No, fuck that. You know, just, you know, just be mediocre in school, uh, community college at best. And just, you know, I'm sure your mother can get you a job at the bank. You know, we don't need 
we don't need you, you know, getting some, you going, you know, getting some high hopes with some expensive college or something. I don't need all that. So just yeah, we don't need a microbiologist in the household. It's fine. <laughs> We're okay. No interest in. It. Hopefully, she simmers down with these. With these, uh, <laughs> stops being good at school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Enough with these academics. I can't deal with this. Just go out, get your C pluses, and and I'm fine with that. You know, I don't need this straight A bullshit. So, uh, no, that's a little concerning. The the boy, I don't think I have to worry about that. You know, but. Uh, <laughs> He, he thinks Santa slides down the wall. So, <laughs> right, so you, know, you, got a, you got a little time on him. Anyway, he's going to be better off than all of us. So uh, uh, this gives me into this question here. This comes from Stavros, or, or, or yeah, Stavros here, who says, uh, do you guys get your dog's Christmas presents? And if so, uh, what have you gone with? So he says, he's calling us now, Joe. He says, Rich does buy gifts for his dogs. Joe does not. Joe, is Stavros correct? I have never bought a gift for my dog, how but my, dare you. my significant others have always handled there, that. How dare you? They don't, they, Rich. It's a fucking dog. It doesn't know what <laughs> holiday it is. Oh, oh, get out of here. The dog doesn't know. No, today, today, I let the nurse open a gift early, and those dogs ran over there thinking it was their time. They know our dogs know when they get gifts. They know that they there's something because we, we wrap them and we just throw them on the ground and let them unwrap it and stuff like they know because they were fired up when she was opening her gift and I had to let them know no 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 mom bitched and moaned enough so she got one gift you guys do not get your gifts yet though this is absurd <laughs> they it's do a, you're out of your mind a dog doesn't understand a calendar okay the dog is not you know I don't know my dogs wake dog... up at f- they understand clock they get they, they, the internal clock is perfect that's different they don't know it's Christmas. They don't. They don't know it's Christ's birthday. They have no. Ah, clue. they know it's December twenty fifth. It doesn't change around. It's not like you know Easter. I, I wouldn't expect them to know Easter. I, I could see the dog getting used to December twenty fifth. Ah, no. Yeah, this is absurd. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I can't. Dog so you it. you have and never then, gone out there and bought a gift. Are, are you one of these people who's like you? Then you wrap it and you, you yes. You make the dog open it with yes, its paw. Of course. Come on, that's a tour. The dog doesn't know what to do, and then you end up. Oh, they goddamn know well what to do. Yeah, I'm gonna video it and send it, and you'll see. These dogs know what the hell to do with a gift. Are you kidding? Yeah, and the dog's probably annoyed that you're making it open up the thing instead of doing it for it. You know, the dog, the dog just no. That's the game. Inside. That's the game. I put stuff. One of the dogs loves to un- put things in boxes to get it out of boxes. So I put all this. His gift comes in like six different boxes. He's got to spend 20 minutes getting that thing apart. Okay, you know the dog thinks that's annoying. You know that, right? No, he, he puts toys in the box. If we leave a box out, if I, if I, the box that the box earlier today that got opened, he put his ball in that box and started scratching well, he's hiding and clawing. It. That's a, you know, that's like a dog's hide ball. No, he scr- he like... puts it in there and then he scratches at it and screams at it and then tries to get it out. Well, your dog and the boy have a lot in common. <laughs> he's not. I didn't say he was smart. I just said he's, you know, <laughs> the smart dog. He doesn't do that. He he. He will usually walk up to the box and get the toy immediately and just go, here, <laughs> here it is. I got it for you. <laughs> the other one you know, puts it back in the box and tries to get it. It's a, it's a game. So, yeah. Listen, there'll be gifts for the dog here, but I didn't have anything to do with it. So well, okay. Well, th- well, thank TLB for, for, for me. And, and I go one step further. I actually uh, buy gifts and, and donate them to the shelter as well, the animal shelter, because I'm a good person. So. Oh, well. So I buy gifts you. for all the dogs and gerbils, guinea pigs. Also... They don't get if anything, I give so. money, so if I give money to the animal shelter in June, I'm not as good as you are. Exactly, you're doing, right? Because I because do you're doing because yes. for the dogs who have no idea what month it is. Yeah, correct. Just, exactly. Gotcha. Right. Makes sense. Mm. <laughs> All right. 
Uh, more questions or you want to go mystery topic? Kirshner, what do you want to do here? Let's do Corporal Kirshner. I think we've disrespected his uh, <laughs> I guess we have. So, start to start. All right, you want to hear how I killed him? Yeah, how did you kill Corporal okay. Kirshner? So on Monday, I had a guy at my work who's going through all the uh, Dark Side of the Rings. He's a, he's a he's like an old school territory wrestling fan. He still keeps one eye on it these days. He's not like super super into it, but he, he's he's aware of it enough. But he's big territory guy. He grew up in Houston. He, he's he's big on the um, he loves Paul Bosch. He'll tell you like if you start talking to him, he'll say how he used to call Paul Bosch on the phone and he would answer the phone and and talk to him and stuff because that was the territory wrestling days, whatever. But like, so it, he's starting to watch the Dark Side of the Rings. I recommended him. I said, hey, you, you, I think you'll like them. So he started watching them one by one. He's getting through them, and every Monday he'll be like, oh hey, me and my wife watched X or whatever. And then the other day he was like, hey, should I watch like you know the Chris Benoit one? And I was like, eh. I was like, maybe just skip that one. Like, I don't, I don't think you really have to watch that one. And then there's a few where I've been like, ah, you can probably just skip that one and not have to watch it because it's not going to go well for you. It's just kind of a terrible episode. It's going to make you feel horrible. So um, he comes to me on Monday and says, "I watched the FMW uh, Dark Side," and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's a cool, that's a cool one." And he's like, "Oh, what can you tell me about FMW?" So I had to like kind of, you know, I and I'm not an FMW. Fan expert on any level whatsoever but i started sending him some stuff I what started, are you what are you bahu yeah i was bahu. gonna say I, I and i did i said there's a guy i i i, I linked him to bahu i said there you go there's there's the person to follow but he was like oh can, is there anything you could send me like to, to watch from from fmw or whatever so i was like all right yeah yeah so i started sending him some hayabusa stuff some stuff that i liked and, and, and whatnot and then for I don't even know exactly what reason or, or, or why I did it, but I remembered, oh, man, this guy loves Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm going to let him know about Leatherface in FMW. So I sent him a link to an F, uh, you know Leatherface coming out in FMW with you know with the chainsaw and stuff, and it's awesome because like, he comes out and everyone runs away and, and, and whatnot. It's a, a fantastic character, the, the, the uh, uh, Leatherface in FMW or whatever. So or su- I guess he was super leather in FMW, but either way. So he um, he's like, wow, this guy, that's awesome. Like he's like, hey, who who the hell is that guy? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure who that is. I I I don't know. I just know him as Leatherface. Joe, I was this week old when I found out that Corporal Kirshner was Leatherface. Is that dumb? Wow. It's one of those things that I don't know why I just didn't know, but I was like, oh shit, all right, cool. Like because I knew Corporal Kirshner and I knew Leatherface. I had no idea they were the same person. Well, there was there was a lot. There's a lot of people who have done. Leatherface style gimmick, right? Right. I mean, t- uh, basically everywhere from you know the mid seventies to the the mid eighties probably had a Leatherface Texas Chainsaw Massacre type of gimmick. So, well, even in Japan, uh, Rick Patterson was doing Leatherface, um, but Corporal Kirshner was the first one, and then when he went to FMW, he was super leather, and you know that's the area you're talking about. But there's still guys today who are running around, you know, doing that gimmick. So maybe it's not – I'm not stunned that you didn't realize it. I mean, how would you know? He wore a mask. Yeah, I just – I don't know. I guess it's one of those things I, I feel like I should it's... have known, but then I didn't. And I was just like, oh, shit. All right. I didn't know that. That's cool. So I started, like, watching Corporal Kirshner stuff and looking up Corporal Kirshner and, like, being like, oh, hey, yeah, that's pretty awesome. And then, like, he was like, oh, this Leatherface guy's cool. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's Corporal Kirshner. So him and I were just exchanging Corporal Kirshner links back and forth. For like well, a couple of days, <laughs> I wouldn't I, recommend that. But. Yeah, and that well, I quickly realized that. Uh, well, all right, I see why. You know, maybe a better gimmick for him is running around with a chainsaw and scare people instead of wrestle. Uh, and then, yeah, much to my surprise, on the twenty second yesterday, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, what the hell? I killed this guy. Like, I, I, I mushed him. I don't know what I did here. Uh, so I apologize. Well, 
you weren't the only one to kill him. WWE. Yes, and that's I. That, and then that we sent that around. I and that was I literally on Tuesday night sent him a link and said, "Oh, you're not gonna. This is hilarious." WWE back in in uh, I think it was 2005 or 2006 announced him dead. I believe on their website and said Corporal Kirshner has died. And then like five days later, had to clarify it. We're sorry, he's actually alive. And there was another yeah. man with the same name as him that died, and not the actual Corporal Kirshner. Yeah, a, a guy died. Now, okay, this is where it gets sketchy, though. A guy died who they thought was his shoot name, but that turned out not to be his shoot name anyway, and he turned out to be alive. Now, how WWE did not know his shoot name, considering they employed him, and considering that they were still, you know, I mean, I guess still paying him royalties – you know, he was on WrestleMania 2. He was, I'm sure, on many other uh, home video releases. So how did they not know what this guy's actual name was? What name did he tell them when, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, who, they... what were the checks going to? <laughs> like, Mr. Kirshner? Like, what? Yeah, I don't understand. Yeah, I'm not sure how the uh, the checks got there, how they thought. Yeah, so I'm looking this up. So they thought his name was Thomas yeah. Spear, but his name is Michael Penzel, <laughs> which is not the same. Well, that's the other thing, too. Like, his name was Mike Kirshner. But then I think I think he got married and took his wife's last name of Mike, of, of Penzel. Yeah. Because I was reading his... None of those are uh, Thomas Spear. None of them are Thomas Spear. And I was reading his obituary because all of his children and grandchildren have the last name Kirshner. So at some point he took the, either the wife's name or another name. Hold on. Come here, boy. We were just talking about you. Come here. You're going to bed? Yeah. When when I want you to talk loud and be close to here. When when is Santa coming? One day. One more day? Yeah. Um, how does he get in the house? Did you figure that out yet? Yeah. Well, oh, he he's got in? it. Okay. He gets in from a secret key. Oh, you're oh. you got your sister's key theory now, huh? Is that is that did did your sister tell you that? That he's got the key? I asked Siri. You asked Siri? <laughs> I didn't think of that. That's great. Maybe I've been underestimating the boy. <laughs> yeah, never mind. He's got used Because he – um. All right, let me, his... let me test. Let me see if he's a liar or not. You want me to Hold test on, it on you... Siri right don't, now? Don't, don't leave. Come here. So he has his mother's old phone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not activated or anything, but he, he, there's, he plays games on it. And I guess he's been asking Siri. So that's what Siri told him. So uh, see if that's what Siri told him. Yeah, let's see. Okay. Test. Siri, how does Santa get in the house? All right, just gave me a bunch of links. Okay. Uh, the top link does say, how does Santa get into a house without a chimney? It's a Santa Claus has a magic key that he uses to get into homes, apartments, and townhomes. The boy used Siri. There you go. So, um, so when is Santa coming? One day. One more day. So not tonight, right? Mm-mm, not tonight. Not this night. No. All right. So, what are you? What are you gonna? You're gonna see Santa tomorrow, right? Yeah. At the Christmas Eve party. Yeah. Are you gonna be shy or are you gonna talk to him? <laughs> what do you think? I'm not telling you. You're not telling me. It's gonna be a surprise. <laughs> what, well, if you talk to him, what are you gonna ask him for? I don't know yet. You don't know yet. No. Oh, well, you what? You got a day. Out, you got a day. Let's you got, go. You got like one day. You're gonna see him tomorrow. So you got to figure this out. Okay, so do you think Santa's coming? 
But have you been bad this year? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. But you still think he's coming? No. He might not be coming, right? No. So you're going to wake up early and go down and check under the tree? It's going to be a big surprise, right? Yeah. All right. All right, well, uh, this this bit kind of ran out of gas. You can take a hike. Good night. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. All right, so you go. Run in by the boy. Haven't right. had one in a while. That's good. So, yeah, I like the uh, – I, I asked Siri. I didn't think that you could just ask. Yeah, there's, there's all these smart devices in the house that, you know. Maybe we've been underestimating the boy a little. Yeah. He, 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 he decided to ask He's going to be a Siri. tech bro. He's going to disrupt an industry soon, and then you're going to feel like a real idiot. He's going to create a delivery app. That's gonna, <laughs> He's going to uh, be a billionaire. <laughs> yeah, I'm all about it. Um, so we're talking about – yeah, so this guy had a bunch of different names, I guess, and I, I guess he told – I guess WWE had – some the wrong name on file or whatever and then they thought the guy died in 2006 but he did not in fact die in 2006 so uh he died on uh wednesday of this week of an alleged heart attack so uh that's the end of corporal kirshner now how did he become leatherface and then super leather well let's go through his career so first of all how did he become corporal kirshner right so he was a WWF television job guy working as RT Reynolds. And um, he was, he, he, like a lot of the WWF guys from that era, deceptively large. Like if you, if you pull up some RT Reynolds footage, if you can find it, I don't know how much, how many RT Reynolds matches are, are, are bouncing around out there, but he kind of has kind of a bruiser Brody look. He's got the big hair big flowing hair and the Fu Manchu mustache. And uh, he's this big aggressive guy. And he was basically a TV jobber when he came in in 1984 and early 1985. Uh, What a lot of people don't know is that the first gimmick they gave him was the axe. And this was before Bill Eady and before demolition. This was uh, Corporal Kirshner as the axe and he wore a mask. And he did that for a couple of tapings. And then uh, Vince McMahon, as he has been apt to do over the years, and we talked about this when we talked about C.V. Afi, how McMahon tried to replace Superfly Jimmy Snuka, first with the Tonga Kid, who went on to become Tama of the Islanders and and uh, the father of Jacob Fatu, and then with later with, with C.V. Afi as Superfly Afi. And it just didn't work out in either case. Tonga Kid was extremely young. I think he was 18 years old when they brought him in. It just, he wasn't ready for the spot. C.V. Afi had no charisma. I mean, the guy just didn't have any charisma whatsoever. Uh, but Vince McMahon's always, he always has this God complex where he's like, well, I could just recreate guys. Ten years later, like when he tried it with Diesel and Razor Ramon. Yeah, I mean, fuck, he tried it with Hulk Hogan and Lex Luger, for God's sakes. Like, you know, yeah, that, that's an that's all-timer of just like, well, I just get you know, a, a, a roided-up guy who loves America, and it's going to work. And it's like, no, it's Hulk Hogan. Like, you try to replace Hulk Hogan. What are you doing? You can't do that. But uh, Vince thinks yeah. he can. So Vince, historically, has always thought, well, when I lose guys, I can just create my own version of them. And uh, when Sergeant Slaughter took the G.I. Joe deal and then left and went to the AWA. A few months later, they took R.T. Reynolds slash The Axe slash Mike Kirshner. And uh, 
I think as the story goes, Vince found out he had a military background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know they they gave him the gimmick of Corporal Kirshner, and if and the idea was, well, if we you know he'll just slide right into slaughter spot, and nobody will know the difference. But much like C.V. Afi and Tonga Kid and all of these other guys that never worked as the replacement, you can't replace the charisma of these big stars. Sergeant Slaughter, first of all, was an incredible worker, as we talked about on the Hall of Fame shows, especially in those days. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter uh, was perfect for that role of a drill sergeant. He looked like yeah, a drill sergeant. big protruding chin is all. I mean, it was perfect. Yeah, yeah. His spitting, his chin, the mustache, yeah, the, the, the voice. Yeah, it all worked. It was perfect. Yeah, and he had the act down and and he was a, and some people are stars and other people are not stars. And unfortunately for Corporal Kirshner, he didn't have any charisma. His promos were awful. He just he, they were like these meathead promos where they were just bad even by the standard of WWF television of the day. His promos were bad. As a worker, he wasn't very good. He was he was big and he had size. This is going to be a weird analogy, but when I watch Corporal Kirshner wrestle, uh, Rich, you play basketball. When you go play in a random playground or park, and you know there's a pickup game going on, and every now and then there'll be a guy or two who really doesn't know how to play basketball, who somehow gets in the game, and they're just they play too rough. Like if it were a real game, they foul out within three minutes. Yeah. You ever play with a guy oh, like all that? the time, all the time, and you can spot him a mile away too. Yeah. A lot of times, like, in the park, they're the guy playing in jeans. Like, that guy. Okay? The guy that just plays too rough. He doesn't understand the rules. He's all over everybody. He just doesn't – it's like, come on, man. He doesn't get you your doing? feet like, out of the, – the biggest way I can tell, they don't get their feet out of the way. You roll yes. your ankles on those guys all the time because they don't understand the, the – because basketball players know, hey, get your feet out of the way. You know, you know, if a guy's going up for a layup, you step out of the way a little. You know, you defend it, but then there's a way to step out of the way where they don't land on you. That guy, Gene's guy that takes it too serious and, and too aggressive, he does not. And you roll your ankles on Gene's guy all the goddamn time, and I hate it. He's the guy who doesn't know how to play basketball, right. and, and, it, and, and it's annoying Like because if it were a real game, it wouldn't be a problem because he'd foul out and you wouldn't have to deal with him. But, uh, you know – on the blacktop, unfortunately, you got to run up and down the floor with this guy until somebody scores 11. So Corporal Kirshner is that guy of pro wrestling when I watch him. It's like he doesn't – he wasn't a natural at it. and He was rough around the edges, and he was stiff. He had a reputation for being stiff, and he had a reputation behind the scenes for being a legitimate tough guy and someone you didn't want to fuck with and someone who, um, you know – you know, if you annoyed him, he'd fucking he'd fight you. He had a short fuse, and there's stories of him. I think he beat up uh, uh, the illustrious Johnny Stewart from AWA when they were in Japan. Like he he beat the guy within an inch of his life, and uh, and and. And he also spent time in jail for 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 beating up a fan and a tough guy, and he got like that is stiff and back or potato and back or fight back. So he's a real hard guy to work with, and you can kind of see that in his work. So once you know they gave him this gimmick and they slotted him into the slaughter roll, he did not get over predictably. I mean, if you go watch the promos 
and his introduction vignettes. It's clear he has no charisma. He can't cut a promo. Then you watch the matches, and he's terrible in the ring. And he was feuding with Sheik and Volkov, just like Slaughter was. Like I said, they slot him, right? <laughs> like he slotted him exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he li- they literally gave him Slaughter's spot. And he won that feud. Like, you know, he would win all these flag matches. And he, he, would, he beat Sheik and Volkov all over the loop. But once that feud ran its course, they kind of knew that they had nothing there was nothing in this guy. So he, he slowly became, he drifted down the card and uh, he spent most of 86 as, as a prelim guy and he stopped winning matches. And by the end of 86 and by 87, he fell all the way back down to television jobber. Like he was doing TV jobs again as Corporal Kirshner, uh, just like he had started with in 1984 when he was RT Reynolds and the ax. So, um, you know, he would now he'd be the guy like, OK, so he would do TV jobs on the syndicated shows. But like if he was in a tag match, the other guy would take the fall, like because he was pushed previously, he would get the respect of not being the guy to eat the fall. And like the no name guy would take the fall, but he would still be one of those guys who was already in the ring. You know what I mean? Like he 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 slid all the way back down the card to right, the point right. where he was a TV jobber. And he was on the same level as like, uh, uh, you know, the other TV jobbers who at least got, ha- who who also went on the road and would get a little more respect if they were intact, like your SD Jones types and your Hillbilly Jim eventually fell to that level. Eventually, Jim Brunzel, once Brian Blair left the territory, was at that level. Uh, um, you know, there's a number of them. Lanny Poffo. Uh, was at that level where they were TV jobbers, but if they were in a position where someone else could eat a fall, the other guy would eat the fall. Anyway, um, he saw the writing on the wall. I think they he either quit or they fired him. I don't remember the story. So I, I left, think, an, and I don't know again how this happened. They weren't using them well anymore anyway. Yeah, I don't know and exactly he how. Around oh, for sorry. a little bit. Hello. Oh boy! Oh, I'm here. Okay, you're good. Oh, sorry. We, you, you've been uh, you've been going in and out, and uh, uh, anyway, so I think I think we're good. I think you're back. But uh, no, I, I was reading a story earlier that they uh, they said he was suspended. Yeah, I, 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 all for... I said was. Uh... Oh boy! <laughs> all right, are you good? I'm gonna leave the call and come back. Yeah, why don't you do that? We'll, we'll, we'll do that. We'll have Joe come back uh, in a moment here. So. All right, so yeah, what, what I think the story that I was reading, I was going to tell Joe uh, real quickly, was I, I. It looks like they suspended him for some drug-related thing, which is is absolutely wild. So Joe, I was saying that they, uh, I think they suspended him for some drug offense, but that like in 1984, like that's pretty much they just want to get rid of you, right? Because everybody in the locker room was doing something in 1987, 87, yeah, 87 80, that was going to get you popped. So somehow he got a drug suspension, which is probably just the way. Uh, to say hi, uh, don't call us, and we won't call you. And then he went away. So, yeah. At any rate, they weren't using them well. I'm not on delay anymore, am I? Yeah, you're good. Um, you're good now. You're good now. Okay. Um, at any rate, they weren't using them well anymore anyway. And he was just doing TV jobs. So he bounced around for a couple of years, and uh, you know, I think Herb Abrams use was using them, and I'm sure he did. You know, the Indies of the day. I think he did a couple New Japan tours, but eventually. He settled in and hooked up with Wing, which was one of the, you know, uh, garbage slash 
deathmatch slash, you know, whatever you want to call them promotions that were picking up steam in the early 90s in Japan. And that's where he got the Leatherface gimmick. Now, if you're this guy who's deceptively large and is out of control and works stiff and is a wild man, what would be the perfect gimmick for you? I was going to say, it works. It's very smart. It's very smart. Yeah, so in reality, that that ended up being his big break in the... Well, I guess Corporal Kirshner was his big break. He just didn't take advantage of it. But his sort of second life in the business was this Leatherface gimmick with Wing. And... That really worked, and 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 you know he he made a career out of that, and then um, he jumped to well, what they did they had uh, IWA Japan, which was another one of those sort of uh, uh, deathmatch groups or whatever. They had their own version of Leatherface, and that was Rick Patterson, and they did a gimmick where they brought Kirshner in, and they teamed them together as Leatherface and Leatherface. And that didn't last very long because I don't even know. Do you know this story of how – so they had a tag match and the they were – the details now are sketchy. But I think what went down was they were told after the match to – it was some kind of gimmick match, some kind of uh, 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 nail board gimmick in the match. Let me pull it up on cage match and see exactly what it was. So – after the match, they were supposed to go crazy and beat up the ref and beat up the the opponents and everything like that. But like I said, this guy was a little, he, he was, you know, he was a little crazy. And they went overboard with the nail board. Okay, it was a barbed wire board spike nail death match against Hiroshi Ono and Soji Nakamaki. Okay. And after the match, they were supposed to do a number on everybody, but they went overboard. They were ripping the spikes off the boards and then and goring people in the neck with them. And I think this match is, is on YouTube, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to check and double check that. But uh, they ended up getting, he ended up getting fired. They fired him because they beat the living shit out of these guys after this match. And, um, you know, they, they, it was just, it was way too, I don't think they were shooting on them, but I think it was. <laughs> a little like, too graphic, a little too violent. Yeah. A little too rough. I think like, there's people who think that it was a shoot. I don't think it was a shoot. I just think that they were way too aggressive in the post-match attack. So we're, we're being told in the Noto chat room that it is, it is available on YouTube. So, so yeah, so people can watch that. I might do it as the match of the week this week. Um, so he gets fired from, uh, from IWA Japan. And that's when he hooks up with FMW. But because I guess, there was already a leather face in the competing. So, so that's where he became super leather. They went with the name super leather. And that's really where he had the run that I think a, when a lot of people think of the leather face gimmick, they're thinking of Corporal Kirshner and they're probably thinking of the super leather run in FMW. Yeah. Right. Right. Cause that's, he was there forever. And, um, you know, he, he had a really strong run there for probably about a decade. And, um, and it was just, and that's when they had gimmicks for, you know, they had Freddy Krueger, they had uh, the Boogeyman, they had they, they had Jason uh, Voorhees for a while too, if I remember correctly. So. Yeah, Jason. Yeah, Jason. The, the I think uh, Jason the Terrible was uh, specifically the the name of the gimmick, and that was a Puerto Rican wrestler. It was uh, um, can't remember who that was, 
but the the Gilberts came through there, uh, came through Japan and and uh, and did and did those gimmicks. Uh, Doug Gilbert, I think, was um, I want to say he was Freddy Krueger. Doug Gilbert, if I'm not mistaken, let me check that out. Um, Doug Gilbert was Freddy Krueger. Yeah. So um, yeah, so that was like you know they love to have the movie monsters as gimmicks. So super leather was really his most uh, probably successful run in the wrestling business. And then he kind of just faded away when those promotions, those promotions, those style of promotions kind of were no longer in vogue. When, when at the turn of the century, they kind of faded away and um, you know, he, he kind of just faded away too. I mean, I know he probably did random indie shots and according to Cage Match, you know, stuff like Juggalo wrestling and things like that uh, towards the end of his career. But um, but yeah, I think most people would, would be familiar with Super Leather if they were following Japanese wrestling at the time. And um, yeah, but as far as the Corporal Kirshner run, he was terrible. He wasn't, you know, and, and, you know, they tried. They gave it an honest shot. And could you just imagine, like, I've seen them, but you could imagine how bad you know, Corporal Kirshner versus Nikolai Volkov oh. in 1986 would be. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there, there's, they had the, they, they were the one that had the flag match, right? Was that WrestleMania two that the flag match was on or yes. I, I forget. Yeah. Yes. It's not good. <laughs> it's, it's pretty brutal. I can't imagine your run of the mill, like matches between those two. If, if that one was that bad on WrestleMania, I, I cannot imagine what the others were like. So yeah, it, uh, it was brutal. It was two minutes long. I remember that one at WrestleMania and it is, uh, it's not good. Yeah. He is, uh, pretty horrendous, pretty awful at that time. Yeah, so, um, you know, who knows if, you know, they hadn't kind of gone into business for themselves in that IWA-Japan match, if things would have worked out as well. Maybe it all worked out better that he ended up with FMW, who knows, because FMW obviously uh, went on a pretty good, well, I guess he was on the back end of the FMW run, because that would have been... I guess he caught some of them. Yeah, I was going to say he caught most of it. And and to be fair, yeah. I mean, it, it outlasted pretty much all those other ones. I mean, it, it outlasted yeah. it outlasted Wing, Wing it outlasted IWA, it outlasted a bunch of the other Fly by Night ones. So yeah, I mean, obviously it, it, it you know it didn't last much longer after he got in, but he got I, what five six solid years out of them, and that's it's not bad for FMW. Was he it wasn't in the peak, obviously, but but still, yeah, it was well, a consistent I mean. job I think, for. I don't think he caught the whole peak, but he caught. I mean, because he was definitely there at the end. But he caught some of the decent – I mean, he didn't catch – when did he get there? He got there in, what, about 95 or so, I would yeah, say? Yeah, let me, let me get the exact date because, yeah, he may have yeah, – you know, that's yeah, that's not bad <laughs> as far as things go for FMW. That's... No, he was there during some of the good times, so he wasn't just there during the – he was there – he was almost – he was there almost a decade. I mean, it's not wow. like, okay, you know, yeah. it was a short run. I mean, he was there almost – uh, ninety five, yeah, mid, uh, summer of ninety five, he jumps in there, so that's that's pretty good. Yeah, that'll work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was there. Um, yeah, for sure. For some of the, yeah, I mean, he wrestled all those guys, Hayabusa. I mean, you know, anyone who came through there. Um, you know, Matsunaga, uh, probably uh, Gladiator. Oh yeah, awesome. yeah. He's got Mister. Po- I mean, name any FMW guy. There's pretty good chance between nineteen ninety five and 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 two thousand one that he probably faced them. So. Yeah, so it's not know, my style. I can't of... tell you what matches to watch from those because I, you know, I, it's uh, that. Yeah, there's probably better places to go. I mean, as far as me and like FMW stuff, it's like I, you know, I'll watch a few matches here and there and go like, oh, that's kind of cool. But like, I, I could 
tell you what match is better than the other. You, you know what I mean? It's it's not it's not that type of I style was, for me. So it's 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 cool to watch for like an hour and then I'm kind of bored of it and then I don't really care. So I went through my deathmatch phase like everybody does and I was getting FMW tapes at that time, you know, 95, 96. Um and I was getting wing tapes too. Some of those wing shows in those tiny buildings with like 100 fans there. Um were something else and so i mean i watched a lot of that stuff but i mean i can't sit here and tell you that i have super leather rex uh, <laughs> right but but you know i i was getting those tapes on a regular basis but you know i was fascinated with hayabusa at that time you know like like anybody was that yeah, was getting yeah, tapes yeah. um and i remember uh matsunaga being my favorite of the, you know, the pure deathmatch guys uh, during that time. But um, Onita never really connected with me. I, I, I didn't dislike Onita, but I wasn't like this huge Onita guy like just about everybody else was. Like, I recognized he was a massive star, obviously. But um, I don't know. His and, – and obviously – incredible charisma and all that, but he never worked for me for whatever reason. Um, I don't know, but, um, but yeah, that was Corporal Kirshner. He, you know, look, you're not going to, if you peruse YouTube, you're not going to find many classics with this guy. I mean, he was pretty bad, but it's just interesting in that it was yet another one of Vince's attempts to, I can just replicate something on my, you know, yeah, I, it's I, some of them are pretty brazen, and that one, and and I uh, I wrote about this uh, at, at patreon.com uh, slash voice of wrestling a couple months ago. The, the the fake diesel, fake razor Ramon thing is like one of the all time. Like, what are you thinking? Like, how would this ever work? And they very quickly realized, oh crap, this is not going to work. So they turned it into a little bit of like a heel shtick. And Jim Ross, like, it was obvious that like, oh, these aren't the real, but. Don't let that don't let the narrative fool you. Like they wanted you to think at first that those guys were actually replacing Diesel and Razor Ramon and that, hey, they have you know, oh, they have, you know, Kevin Nash and, and, and Scott Hall, but no, who cares? They were built as stars as Razor Ramon and Diesel. And and very quickly, to Vince's credit, I guess, in, in some respect, he realized, oh God, we have to like shift this real, real fast and find a different way to get out of this. But don't don't get it twisted. Like if they came out and they got big cheers, like he would have been more than happy having those guys be Diesel and Razor Ramon and replace the guys that he had previously. And 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 it, again, it's it's the playbook. Like go through the history of, of, of WF. You will find many, 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 many times where Vince did that. And and um it's it's pretty wild. And yeah, th- this this one's probably one that stands out just because Sergeant Slaughter was so good. And I, we talked about him during our Hall of Fame episodes and stuff like that. You're talking about replacing like a Hall of Fame level wrestler and like a, a no doubt Hall of Fame level like character or or guy that gets the gimmick. I mean, Sergeant Slaughter, that name, the look, the mustache, the chin, the glasses, the voice, like it all works. It's just so perfect that there's just no way whatsoever that you can say, uh, hey, here's this guy, like, you know, and it'd be, it'd be this guy replacing Sergeant Slaughter. I mean, it's just never going to happen. Similar to the Lex Luger, Hulk Hogan thing. It's just never going to happen when you're trying to replace somebody that's at that level, you know, in this pantheon that a Hulk Hogan or, or, or you know, Sergeant Slaughter was. And, and it obviously did not work very well. So... I pulled up Onita's page. His match with Hayabusa was May of 95. And Leatherface, or Super Leather rather, starts in June of 95. So he did miss the big run. He missed the Onita date. He was there for the Hi- for Hayabusa on top, basically. Yeah, which isn't bad. 
That's no, not... no, they were still going okay in 95. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, 95, 96, they were going okay. He wasn't there for the peak peak. He wasn't there for like the Onita peak. And of course, Onita came back and retired a million more times. But I'm talking about when Onita left, when Onita retired in 95, they kind of like were ships passing in the night. Super Leather came in a month later. And then Onita obviously came back over and over, you know, and is still doing so. So, um, so yeah, but that was uh, Corporal Kirshner slash Leatherface slash Super Leather. Uh, here, I got a quick question for you, and then we'll we'll do a couple more questions. Then you can you can spring a mystery topic on me after that. So, uh, Tim Dog asks, uh, wrestling shows on Christmas, good idea or horrible idea? What about New Year's Eve? So, Joe, what do you think about wrestling shows on Christmas? Would you go to a wrestling show on Christmas? Would you watch a wrestling show on Christmas? Um, obviously, Thanksgiving was always a big wrestling night in the territory days, and some places ran on Christmas too. I don't know if that would fly today. I mean, you just look at when the TV shows land on Christmas. It's a it's an absolute disaster um, for ratings. But maybe it would work. I don't know. I think, you know, but the thing is, wrestling promotions have gotten away from that and have, have, for so long that I don't know if you can go back to that. Yeah, it's, wrong. I feel like it would be, I, like you would, ha- it'd, be, it'd take a lot of balls to do it. And it might work, and it might be successful, but man, I don't want to be the one that tries it. You, you know, I don't want to be well, the person it, that it, says, "Let's it, go for it," and then you get you know a thousand people at your show if you're a major company, or you could do some indie and ten people are there. Like that's yeah, it, it's gonna be tough. Well, what about your crew? Make it and and work? yeah, the crew as well, which is another big. Thing. It's that like when you established it, and, and there was another question about you know the territory days and you know Christmas is being super cards or whatnot, and and that's a lot easier too because it's like okay, you're talking you're, you're talking about a territory days. There's a good chance a lot of those wrestlers, a lot of the crew live in that area. You're not a traveling circus like you know wrestling big major wrestling companies are now, or, or honestly most indies are now as well. So a lot of those people are local, so it's not like you're asking them to go you know leave their families to go to you, you know and, and and wrestle for your show. But even if you are like. It was established that that was a day where that happened, so you could kind of work around it. Similar to, you know, I'm sure NBA players these days. Instead, they'll just, you know, do their Christmas stuff a week before because they realize, well, shit, I I play for the Lakers, so I'm probably going to be playing on Christmas Day. So, you know, and and it probably doesn't bother you anymore. You're probably just used to it and realize, hey, it's part of the game uh, these days. And people did realize that in the territory days, but like you're saying now – you know, it'd be real tough to have a meeting and spring it on everybody. Hey, uh, Christmas next year, uh, we're going to run a show in, uh, you know, uh, Albuquerque. So make sure everyone's there to do our show in Albuquerque. And it's like, ah, fuck you. You know, it would, it would, it'd be real tough to do it. You would have to, it'd have to be a super local indie or there'd have to be some way to do it. And I just, I think it's a tough sell and I don't want to be the promotion that, that, that tries it and fails. Yeah. Rich, I have a mystery topic. For yeah. You. What do you got for me? It's time for mystery topic number two. And uh, the mystery topic is Von Wagner. We're going to talk a little Von, Von Wagner. Wagner. Let's talk Von Wagner, yes. Are, are you ready to talk some Orlando Magic Superstar. Oh, no, sorry. That's that's a different Wagner. Okay, never mind. That's Hans Who? Wagner. There's a Hans Wagner on the Orlando Magic? Uh, no, there's Franz. No, sorry. There's a Franz Wagner. And then uh, what's the other one's name? Franz is immediately better than his brother. Um they're both on the magic now. Franz and who's the other? They're both Michigan guys. You should know this. I got to tell you, Rich, I can't name three players on the Orlando Magic. Mo, Mo, Mo Wagner. Mo, okay. Mo Wagner. Yeah. So he straightened out the Wagners. I'm talking about Vaughn Von Wagner. Vaughn, okay. Not a, not yes. a member of the Orlando Magic, a member of NXT 2.0. Correct. Okay. 
if you recall, Rich, Von Wagner defeated Kyle O'Reilly in a cage match and then slammed the cage on Kyle O'Reilly. And uh, they did the write-off angle and everything. Kyle O'Reilly has since. Yeah, well, yeah, speaking of Christmas Day, famous angle from Christmas Day. The Freebird slamming the cage on uh, on Carey, yeah. Oh, look at that. We kicked off, kicked off Von Wagner's uh, uh, run to superstardom, just like that that feud, you know, kickstarted uh, world, world class. Uh, well, you would think. Oh. <laughs> did you watch oh. WWE? <laughs> Is that not the case? Because, I mean, geez, it did, feels like that did, should be the case, right? Did you watch NXT 2.0 this week, Rich? Uh, <laughs> Joe, I did not watch NXT 2.0 this week. Shame on you. But uh, Von Wagner was in action, and you would think coming off the the write-off of Kyle O'Reilly and that big angle, and you would think that Von Wagner had all of the momentum in the world, right? Like, they're going to push this Absolutely, guy. Absolutely, right, yeah, yeah. That's, but Kyle O'Reilly was a push commodity, a multiple-time, you know, the title contender, uh, you know, yeah, big deal. And then, and then yeah, you ride, you beat him in the cage match, hit his head in the door, and then send him off a pack, and yeah, you're, you're off to the races there, for sure. Yeah, Von Wagner lost to Idris Anofe in one minute and eight Who? seconds on that. Uh, Idris Anofe. He lost to okay. Idris Anofe in one minute and eight seconds on uh, ah. NXT 2.0 this week. So <laughs> there's the uh, why <laughs> there's the follow up to the write off. Uh, well, you know it's NXT 2.0. Anything can happen. In the uh, the World Wrestling Federation, I guess. Okay. Um... So if they had no plans for Von Wagner. Why didn't they have someone else beat Yeah, Kyle? make plans for somebody else. Why not have Kyle O'Reilly just beat him up on on the pay-per-view and then have 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 this uh Idris Anofe defeat Kyle O'Reilly uh defeat uh Kyle O'Reilly on TV and write him off, right? Why invest in Kyle Von <laughs> Wagner in this cage match and have him write off Kyle O'Reilly and then lose in a minute the very next week? Is this uh, I, I, so, Joe? I, I think that maybe, and perhaps this is this is my theory at least. Uh, WWE fucking sucks. It doesn't know how to make stars. I think is is what my theory would be. But you know, I, I'll I'll listen to other theories as well. Well, I I think you you hit that one on the head. Sir. Yeah, it's just because I now for me personally, I don't think Von Wagner is a future superstar. But I didn't have him beat Kyle O'Reilly and slam his head in a cage door. So you know, don't get mad at me. I'm just saying if you're gonna have a guy beat a guy and slam his head in the cage door, then maybe just continue the push with that guy and see what you have instead of or or just don't do that angle. I guess is what I would say. But you know, well, we gotta tell. Well, we gotta tell stories. Maybe we're telling a story here on NXT. Tour. Yeah. Oh yeah, those always go great. Yeah. The uh... Um, let it play out, Joe. <laughs> I think we have to just let it play out, I think is what we should do. So if you're Kyle O'Reilly and you worked with this kid and you were in a tag team with this guy and you took him under your wing and you did this split and you did the honors, as they say in the business, and you did business the right way and you put him over strong in the cage match a couple of weeks ago, right? And you find out that they beat him in a minute the next week. Aren't you a little annoyed? Oh, for like, sure. It... Yeah, you got to be. You got Well, you got to be, like, annoyed and be like, what the hell are you guys doing? Like, what are you thinking? Like, this is not how you make stars. This isn't what you do. Is there some weird, like, chess going on here where they don't they, they wanted to bury? But the, why would you even do that? Why, why would you want to bury the guy? You know what I mean? Like, because Kyle O'Reilly would be debuting on AEW this week, and maybe they knew that and wanted to... But why would you do that? I don't even understand why you would do that. But I, I don't know. This 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 company routinely makes me ponder what the hell they're doing. So 
I mean, we're talking about Von Wagner here, okay? So it's not like, but it, 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 it's, it exemplifies a bigger problem. Right, right. Problem. Like I said, like, again, I don't think Cal Bloom is like a future, like, you know, marquee superstar, but like they, I guess, thought he was, or, or at least put him in a direction to be a couple weeks ago. And now they've decided a couple weeks later that no, he's, he's not actually. I don't see anything in Von Wagner no. personally. He has no charisma. He just seems like a guy. But again, then why give him that spot with O'Reilly? <laughs> no, it doesn't make any sense. They're so so stupid. I don't I don't get anything that that company does anymore. It's and then you know Kyle O'Reilly shows up on Dynamite, and he had a t shirt a t shirt all ready to go. Um, you can't convince me that he didn't know he was going to be on that Dynamite a month ago. Like he knew, right? Like this was oh for sure. Oh no doubt. Yeah. Like. All of this tampering stuff that we oh, hear, God. and I, come on, like Tony Khan wasn't, you know, cutting a back alley deal with this guy. Give me a break. Like, you know, maybe he couldn't sign the contract until his other contract was up. But, uh, you know, once they signed Fish and then kept Fish on TV every week since they've signed Fish, and have kept Fish in a prominent spot. You know, uh, with Adam Cole. They've the been doing, like, what, Bucks. a month and a half of, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge with yeah. Fish and Cole? I mean, yeah. It, it would be an idiot. It would take an absolute idiot not to put to put two and two together with Kyle O'Reilly coming in. Yeah. So, you know, you had you had to know that was coming. And, and poor Roderick Strong. I think he's got, like, a year left on his deal. Mm-hmm. You know he'd be in there, too. So, and probably will be in about a year. Because, I mean, I don't think that they'll have any interest in keeping him around. He's another guy who's 40 years old and who's like five foot seven. And, you know, I think Roderick strong is great, but they're never going to push him. And, and, and they're eliminating the cruiserweight title. They're, you know, you, sir, not a viewer of NXT 2.0. It's on and popping. I am. And they're doing a unification. <laughs> it's match. like that. What, what's the, what's the phrase they use all the time? Uh, people, the, the no, no chat will let us know. It's like, uh, it's like that. Or it's, it's something like that. I forget what it is. It's so lame. Yeah. It's in that one. Um, it's in one of their commercials. I forget what it is. Someone in the note of chat room will, will, will say it and, and, and remind me what it is. It's mad dope. <laughs> it's the bee's knees. Yeah, it's off the chain. Is it off the yeah, chain? It's off the hook. Yeah. It's the bomb.com. Um, NXT 2.0, the bomb.com. Yeah. Yes. It's amaze balls. Yeah. It's like, so they are amaze balls. Well, that'd be an awful one. They, um, uh, yeah, so they're merging the Cruiserweight title with the North American title. So, uh, Are they still going to call it 205 Live now that it's <laughs> I don't know anymore. No purpose whatsoever. I mean, but why change – like what's the what would be the point of changing the name really? But um, it hasn't really been truly 205. Well, I guess the women's matches, they're all under 200. Uh, I would say yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But they have had bigger men on there too at times that are clearly not 205 pounds. But – um. Okay, I'm so so on. Sue Williams told us, yeah, it's like that. Is <laughs> what the phrase yes. is. Yes. It's like that. In fact, Rich. Who <laughs> it's sleeping girl. <laughs> it's uh it, it appeared this week people, more people discovered sleeping girl. I, a lot of people thought you were making that up. No, no. But uh this yeah. week sleeping girl uh it it did go semi as 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 quote viral as NXT 2.0 can go. Um sleeping girl, people are now aware of sleeping girl, so did you know the median age for the show this week was 64? That's a new 64 record. 64 years old. That's a new record for any weekly wrestling show. 64. 
since Brandon they Thurston were born in track. 1957. Yeah. That was the median age. The show did a 0.11 <laughs> in the 1849. But, uh, the Milwaukee you know Braves, weird? your World Series champions, 1957, defeating the, uh, the vaunted New York Yankees. So, uh, Whitey Ford <laughs> leading, the, leading the Yankees, but unfortunately Warren Spahn and the uh, Milwaukee Braves were just too much for them to handle. Warren Spahn was playing and winning World Series when these people were born. Joe. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, here's what's weird, though. And if you dig deeper into the numbers, while it's very clear that extremely old people love to watch NXT 2.0, and they don't do a good number at all in the 18-49 uh, they're actually up against the same month last year in people aged 18 to 34. They're 4% up over December 2020 and yellow and black NXT. So are there signs that young people are connecting with this young hip brand? Or is that just a negligible number that we should It feels ignore? like a negligible number, but I guess. I don't know. Uh It feels negligible, but I don't know. Uh, it's yeah, that median age just kind of it, it skews it all in a weird way because it's just you laugh, you look at that, and you just have to laugh. Yeah, and it kind of distracts you from any of the other numbers, even if the, some of the other numbers are okay or decent. Yeah. It's just you can't get over <laughs> the sixty-four-year-olds watching Mandy Rose cut promos in bikinis and you know the sleeping girl and just go, ah, yeah, here we go, wrestling, you know. So and, yeah. and Jiro, you know, pooping. So uh, yeah, it's it's. I don't know. I, I it seems like it's I, I just can't fathom what USA can possibly be thinking of this show. I mean they see the same numbers we do. They can't want this show on their network, right? I mean, are they gonna give this a year to play out and see if it can connect with young people? I mean, the whole show comes across like how do you do fellow kids though? Oh, for it? sure. Yeah, yeah. That's the problem here. Yeah, because it's not cool at all, and it's not young, and it's not hip, and it's not, it's just it, there's a lot of primary colors and a lot of like people that l- appear to be like four years old, but like nothing is. It's not actually cool in any way whatsoever. It's just no, it, no, no, it, no, it's clearly cool. the idea of what cool would be to a sixty-seven-year-old man is what cool. It's, it's what a sixty-year-old would think young people think is cool. Right, right, and it's it's apparent too. It's not even like there, there's no like. There's nothing that connects with like a younger audience, and and I'm even out of that too. You know what I mean? Like I'm even probably out of that as well. But like I just know that there's no way that there's someone that's younger than me that's watching this and going, "Oh man, hilarious!" You know, there's just no way. Like that, there's 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 nothing that can be connecting with a younger audience. It's just impossible. Uh, Daniel T in the chat room makes a good point. It was going head to head with AEW last year. So, oh yeah, duh. Okay. Now that the show's on its own, I remember night, that. Yeah, remember when they uh, when they went head to head with uh, AEW? Do you remember that? Oh yeah, that didn't go well. Yeah, that was. Uh... That didn't go well. That's why we have NXT 2.0. Yeah, because because uh, your your first like... episode re- recapping the ratings was called Bloodbath, so that didn't go well. No, that uh, that that didn't work out, and that was uh, uh, not a success. But. Um... But that's probably the answer, and I and I really just chalk that up more as a statistical anomaly. I don't know if there's any kind of like now if you look uh, because look they're still doing point one one overall in the eighteen to forty nine. I mean, yeah. you know, nobody's watching. I mean, that's um, one hundred forty eight thousand viewers total in that demo. 
uh, last week out of the 591 that watched the show. So, but it's a horrendous show. It has uh, no redeeming value whatsoever. Um, Tony D'Angelo, the Italian gangster. Um, I, 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 I can't, it gets worse and worse every week. You know what he is? I know I've called him uh, an annoying SNL sketch. That isn't funny. That goes for seven minutes too long. And, and he is that, but what Tony D'Angelo also is, is he's like, he would be Chikara's vision of an Italian mobster, right? Wouldn't he be a Chikara character? Couldn't you see Tony D'Angelo yucking it up with like missile assault ants? <laughs> I can't. Yeah, believe it or not, I could, yes. You know, like Tony D'Angelo is what Mike Quackenbush would present as a G-rated version of an Italian gangster, you know? He'd be mad at the Batiri for eating his gabagool, and that would like kick off a feud. That, that's yeah, he'd face Los Ice right? Creams and be like, nah, it's gelato. <laughs> the Ice Creams would go, no, it's ice cream. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they'd have a, yeah. You know, and it's been 45 minutes before they've even wrestled talking, you know, no, gelato, no, ice cream. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, we some people would laugh, I guess. So, and then, yeah, that would, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's for sure. He'd be, he'd be confused about, like, Frightmare and Hollow Wicked. You know, he wouldn't understand. Hey, hey I'm wrestling over out. here. <laughs> like, who are yeah. you? Yeah, right. It's July. It ain't even Halloween. You know, (laughs) know, he's like Chikara's answer to a gangster. Like, I don't know if Tony D'Angelo is going to have a good career or not. I really have no idea because he's greener than grass and it's unfair to like judge these people. Didn't somebody ask an NXT 2.0 question in the questions? Maybe Uh, let's see. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see if they did it. NXT 2.0 question. Um... Someone asked who we thought could be. WrestleMania main eventers from NXT 2.0, I think. So we can hmm. handle that here. I don't know if well. I'm seeing it, but hey, let's let's assume somebody asked that. So go ahead. They yeah. did. So it's like it's too hard to tell because like I, like Tony D'Angelo, right now he's just like a parody of what people think of Italian people, and it's really corny. And he's green as hell, and he's not very good in the ring yet. And you know, but it's like I don't know if he's going to have a good career. Maybe he will. But here's what I do know: it will not be in this gimmick. Like, eventually, he's going to break free of the, this this gimmick. It's a Chikara gimmick is what it is. This cannot work, you know? And as for Braun Brekar, Braun Brekar is like, once the bell rings, he doesn't have any charisma anymore. Why? Because he's wrestled like 10 matches, and he doesn't know how to connect with the audience. And they're not doing house shows, so it's gonna he's going to wrestle once a week, if that, on NXT 2.0. And it's not doing him any favors. That's not helping him. He didn't wrestle on this week's show. So he's not even wrestling once a week. Okay? Wrestling in the PC, that's not doing anything for you. That's not teaching you how to get over with audiences or how to work because you're not doing it in front of a crowd. So Braun Breaker cuts great promos and he looks the part and he has charisma, but then he gets in the ring and it's all it all goes away. So whoever asked that question about who we think can emerge from NXT 2.0 as future main eventers, I don't fucking know. They're all so green. Right, and they do such a horrible job of getting people ready for that now. And 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 we've talked about that. I mean, obviously, this entire length of this entire show for the last 10 years, we've looked at how horrendous the PC has been for really, truly training. Because, like, they think that they know how to create a superstar and what makes a world wrestling entertainment superstar. They really don't because what makes a good world wrestling entertainment superstar is a good wrestler that has charisma. That's, you know, and, and there's a lot of things that go into making it. And it's not something that you can just kind of create and 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 mold and make like sometimes it just kind of happens and people just are big deals and people just become stars and, people, and and like 
they they meld they they make it so uniform and so regimented that I just don't I th- this used to be a question I used to I always used to say oh the cream will rise to the top the cream that doesn't happen anymore cream does not rise to the top anymore <laughs> you know Bianca Belair should be a star Rhea Ripley should be a star they're not stars they're never gonna be stars because this company just does not know what the fuck to do with these people and they over regiment everything and they over plan everything and they overdo everything and they they lose faith as quick as humanly possible so yeah dude I don't know nobody I, I like people will emerge because they will just they'll kind of emerge it'll be like a Becky Lynch thing where it just sort of happens. And but you'll ha- you'll have no idea who it's going to be, and you'll have no idea who it should be. I, I just I have no faith that there's going to be like okay, let's get behind this guy, and then that guy in ten years will be a star. Like I just don't. They're not set up to do that anymore. They're they're just so entirely broken and developmental that 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 yeah. How could you think that they're going to just make a star? Who, there's no way you can guess who's going to emerge from this thing. Eventually, somebody will just emerge because because they will, but it won't be by you know any sort of effort or any sort of planning or any sort of you know careful construction of a of a future star it just it just it'll just happen tony d'angelo has six matches ever in his life why is he on tv i mean i i don't know like it's, but then again where are you supposed to where are they supposed to get matches now there's nowhere to have matches so i guess you have to put them on tv yeah which They're I don't hate. Weird... It's fine, but it, it it creates a kind of a weird show then on USA. It'd be it'd be a lot better if it was an internet show or like a Peacock special or whatever. But yeah, it, it doesn't uh, doesn't work as like your USA Weekly. And and then the matches they're having aren't really conducive to like learning either because they're you know Braun Breaker's going in there and wrestling you know four minute squash matches. I mean that's not going to be enough. And then occasionally he'll get a big match with Tommaso Ciampa. But you need you need those big matches with Tommaso Ciampa you know four times a week to really get it. That, that's how wrestlers are, are created. You know, that's how stars are, are, are built. That's how great wrestlers become great wrestlers. They go on the road with, with other people and, and, and work constantly. But yeah, that's not going to really work very well if you're doing four-minute matches every week. Brutus Creed, 10 matches. Julius Creed, 11 matches. Um, Ivy Nile. I, you know, how many matches does Ivy Nile have? Let me see if I find it. Has she, does she even have one? Has she wrestled yet? Or does she just stand in the corner? Let's see. Ivy Nile has had, I got it, eight matches, five on TV. Yeah. So, uh, but where else are they going to get the reps? Part of that's COVID. Um, uh, there's no more Largo Loop. I don't know if the Largo Loop's coming back. It definitely needs to. So, you know, it's it's a tricky spot. How many does Von Wagner have? Let's see. Von Wagner has oh, – he's got a lot because he was a yellow and gold. Yeah, he was doing Cal oh, Blue and stuff. Yeah, he was doing stuff pandemic. with his – yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's got uh, 44 matches. So he's been on the road, and he's been on TV 10 times. Uh, so he's been on – he did a job on SmackDown to Sheamus. So he's been on main event. So – yeah, these post-pandemic people. Look, I don't, I don't know where Tony D'Angelo is going to get the reps. I really don't. And you know, I, you know, the show just tries way too hard. Like the sleeping gimmick. Like, what is that? Who does that appeal to? Who thinks that's interesting or funny? Or you know, what, what do you, you know, what, what are we doing here? You know, and some of the comedy, like, uh, you know, the the, uh, you know, the jackets and. Uh, you know, with with Kushida and Jiro and doing the stereotypical oh, like Asian comedy, like it's just who is this for? Who is it for? You know, why would you watch it? But, Wait, is her name actually Wendy Chu? 
Who's Wendy Chu? I don't know. That's, that's the is. sleeping girl. Is that what her name's going to be? It's Karen Q. Yeah. Apparently, it's Wendy oh, you... Chu. Oh, you mean her gimmick name? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's not a good name. No. That's uh... not a good name. So... Good Lord. All right. Steven asks here, Joe. You ready for a question here? I'm ready. Favorite Christmas-related wrestling angle? Do you have a favorite Christmas-related wrestling angle? Um... No, because I don't really like holiday themed wrestling. Stuff. And, and we had a few questions I, about that, and and I guess this this will lead to because I, I do have one, I do have one that I like that, that I'll give you. But um, someone asked, is there a way to book a Christmas themed episode without it coming across hokey and weird or whatever? And I would say no. no. <laughs> I don't think there's a way to do it without it becoming like like too on the nose, too obvious, too many Santa hats, like. There's, there, it's, it's, it's very delicate, very delicate, and I don't think, uh, I don't think you can pull it off. I'd say the only one that really, in my mind, ever worked was, I believe it was the 1997, like quote unquote, Christmas episode of Raw, and that's one where DX put their dicks in boxes and stuff, and like Stone Cold stunned Santa Claus or whatever, because it was just like pure ridiculousness. But it was like over the course of like an hour and a half or whatever, or whatever Raws were at that time. So it was a way to do it a lot easier. And they still had some stuff. You saw it like, you know, just normal stuff going on. But it was enough like, hey, Christmas is here. Christmas is kind of coming without it being too over the top. Because like modern WWE, modern American wrestling, like it, they, they just they, they do it too much. It would just be way too over the top and too rot and just kind of boring and, and and annoying and everybody would have to come out in santa outfits and it would just be boring as hell and and they'd have AEW would have some christmas battle royal some packet somebody would come out of a package or something like that or some confusing royal rumble thing or whatever so yeah i, I don't know if there's a good way to do it i i personally would not put a little put a little fucking uh put some christmas lights on the uh, ring entrance and, and call it a day and call that our christmas episode so you want to you want to call your show seasons beatings and then just do a wrestling show, <laughs> right? 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 Yeah, yeah. You want you want some some bow and some wreaths everywhere, you know, around the ring. That's fine, but yeah, you don't have to do anything more than that. So. Yeah, and I don't need Santa coming down unless you know nine one one's gonna choke slam. Him or something. <laughs> I, that's I, well. That's why I said the Stone Cold one kind of worked because because yeah. uh, he was just like, "Have you been a good boy?" And he's like, "No, nah, hell no, I haven't been a good boy." You know what I mean? And then he just stunned him, and I was yeah. like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that rules." <laughs> like that was kind of cool. So right, yeah, but uh, yeah, like anytime. TNA would do like their Thanksgiving episodes because you know they were always on Thursday nights. So yeah, yeah. The turkey suit matches and they'd always have a food fight. Nothing is the, the, the dirt worst in wrestling are those WWE Christmas episodes because they know they're not going to get a rating. So you know they just do anytime WWE has a food fight. I have no use for <laughs> yeah, food fight stuff. Yeah, dumb. I have no use for any of it. I do not like fun. I have no interest in fun. Uh, it, it, so no, there, I don't have, I don't have any, I can't give that, I can't give that person any example. Yeah. So, so I, yeah, the only one I have is, is Stone Cold Stunning Santa. That's pretty much it. And, and so you, did, you uh, see the, did, did you see this Lash Legend match or no? Uh, you were talking about NXT 2.0. Do not on, think I did. No, no. Yeah. Tell me about Lash Live. Legend. Oh my God. You any relation to Lash LaRue or no? No, she does the interview show on NXT 2.0. It's on and popping. But she she wrestled on 205 Live last week. Okay, she's the former. Uh, she's the WNBA right? Or I, I don't know if she was WNBA, but she was a, a college basketball player, if I remember correctly, right? I don't know her background, but Richard isn't going well. Oh no. Um, she had a worst match of the year contender on 205 Live last week on it a taped was... show that they still aired. Yeah, they aired it. It was abysmal. It was just god awful, un- indefensibly bad, and. Uh, 
you're you you should probably it was so bad that you need to seek it out. Okay, Lashley who who uh, who'd she face? She wrestled um someone that was actually somewhat experienced. Let me see if I can find those uh, two hundred five live results from last week, but you, you, I know you know the match because there was a um, a gift going around of the awful elbow drop that she that she uh, that she threw. I see. I don't think I saw that. I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of out of the loop these days, which is nice. I, I like, but then I miss stuff like this. So yeah, I guess it would have been the twelve. What date would that have been? Twelve fourteen. So I, I got a few matches here. I got one against Amari Miller, and then I have one against Sarai. Saray. Oh, it's Saray. against Saray. Oh boy, and so it's she that wrestled bad. Saray. Oh boy, and yeah, it's a worst match of the year contender yet. <laughs> okay, I'll go out of my way to watch it. It's, it's up there. But again, so. this is the problem we're talking about. Like, it isn't Lash Legend's fault that she had maybe the worst match of the year. She has no business wrestling on tape. No business, but it's that catch twenty two. Then where are the reps coming from? Right. Where are they coming from? And if you look that awful against an experienced wrestler like Saray. I mean, you know, what hope is there? But uh, I wanted to get to that with the Von okay. I, so I, I'm watching. I'm watching clips from it right now, and this is. I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. No, it's this is pretty horrendous stuff, and I, I can't believe this made air. Uh, yeah. She just did a, a what I assume was a body slam or some sort of scoop slam attempt that uh, did not go well. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is pretty brutal. But again, not her fault. She shouldn't be on television wrestling. <laughs> like, no, and if and if and if you put a match like this on tape, why do you air it? You just don't air it. You don't have to air it. You just kind of just two hundred five live. Two hundred five live does not air live anymore, right? No, God, no. So I think I don't know. You're asking the wrong guy. I think so. I don't uh, think I don't think, I don't think so. I'm almost positive if, it's not. If it doesn't air live on Peacock, which I don't think it does, then why would you put this out there? Like, where, where's the quality control? Why would you embarrass this person? Who doesn't know how to wrestle yet? She doesn't know how to wrestle. Yeah, and now, like, you look her name up, and it was, like, the first result that I looked up. When I looked up Lash Legend, it was like, Lash Legend botches match. You know what I mean? It, was, it's, like, yeah. it like, came up right away. So that's, yeah. Nice job, guys. <laughs> like, like that, that's up to you to then, as a company, realize, okay, look, we don't have to air this. Or, or, or you know, just, it's not like they've, advertise something and then not deliver it. They do that every goddamn week on Raw. Like, you can just say, Last Legend and Saray are going to face each other on 205 Live, and then just not air it, and then just don't say anything, because no one's going to really care that much. Who's going to who's really going to call them out and say, whoa, hold on a minute. Hold on a, a stinking minute, guys. You said Saray and Last Legend were going to be on 205 Live this week, and I walked 205 Live, and I didn't see that bad. I mean, who's going to honestly call them out for that? Nobody. No, yeah. It's Psychopaths, like but don't saying, listen to even, them. Even if you're advertising it ahead of time, if the match is that brutal, do a tape an angle. Oh, Lash Legend attacked Saray before yeah. the match, mm-hmm. and, and you could get out of that. Yeah, easily. do a backstage and, thing where, where Saray's holding yeah. her, you know, her leg, and then Lash Legend's walking by, you know, and saying, "Ah, yeah, yeah, I got you," you know, I got you know. So, yeah, there's there's ways to do that. How do you air that? And it was so bad because I, you know, if you watch the match, it's so bad. It, it's it's uneditable. You can't even edit this match down. Yeah, it, I'm looking at the clip. It looks like they tried to edit the scoop slam and then just decided, ah, because they cut some part of it, but then keep like the actual impact of it. Because I think they realize, what are we supposed to do here? Like, we can't just make her start a move and then it just cuts to like Sarai on the top rope. Like, what do you want us to do here? So it does look yeah. like they at least attempted to, but then realize, what are we supposed to do? Like, 
it looks like she was fumbling with her a little bit on a scoop slam, and they just cut it to like right to the impact of the scoop slam. And I say impact in in very light terms there because it uh, was not exactly a a solid scoop slam. So, do you have any mystery topics? I don't have mystery topics. I just got questions, man. I got one. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, there's another mystery topic. Off topic. You ready? Non wrestling. Yeah. So, I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast this past week, 2021 year in review. And they did a very interesting segment. And I want to bring it up to you. Uh, F1, what's that all about? Okay, yeah, you want to you learn about Formula what, 1? What is with... Okay, so F1 kind of blew up in the U.S. this year. Correct. And it's really big in our Slack. Every Sunday morning, it's like I wake up and our Slack is just... It's like you're all speaking a foreign language. I have no idea what any of you were talking about. You're talking about these dopey car races. I don't get any of it. None of it makes sense to me because I don't follow it. But it kind of I, – I don't want to say blew up because it's not like it's some – you know. I mean there's 800,000 people watching on Sunday mornings. It's not like it's you know threatening the Super Bowl for supremacy. Yeah, it's not a but, cultural phenomenon in the way that people no. are pretending it is. Like, and, I, and I watch it, obviously, and I, I, yeah. I enjoy following it. But it's not – like a lot – like people in their little echo chamber will say, oh, my God, F1 is like the NBA better watch out or you know this better – but no, it's not like the Indy 500 will still have – you know, 10 times the amount of people watching it this year than, than F1. Right. So, you know, but it has definitely raised its profile in the U S this year coming off of the Netflix show. Correct. Correct. Yeah. That, that I would say is probably 100% of the reason why most people started watching it. There's a lot of people like I've always, cause I, I I grew up in a, a, a racing household. My dad's a huge, huge racing fan. His dad was a racing fan. So I grew up going to Indy 500 qualifying. I grew up going to NASCAR races when they were here. I grew up going to Indy races. Uh, and whatnot, even the short dirt race stuff. So I, I, I grew up doing that. I kind of fell out of it. Like as a kid, I, I went because, you know, my dad took me and, and, you know, he had to do, you know, if he was going to go, obviously I was going to go or whatever. So I would follow it and do all that stuff. I kind of fell out of it for a few years and, and sort of s- kind of got back into it like five or six years ago, mostly just IndyCar. I don't really watch uh, uh, NASCAR anymore, but I do watch a little bit of IndyCar uh, uh, these days, but I've always kept one eye on Formula One, but never been a huge, huge fan of it because, you know, obviously it's it's very European, and and as a kid growing up, it was like, why you know, why would I care about this thing that just takes place in Europe or whatever? Uh, it you know, but I was aware of the names, and I, I knew some of the stuff, and would watch some of the races. I I knew who you know, and everybody you know who Michael Schumacher is. Like that's a name that everybody you know from Sports Center or whatever you you know that, and you know, largely I knew who Lewis Hamilton was or whatnot. But uh, yeah, I would say a hundred percent of the reason why you're seeing this explosion in popularity, quote unquote explosion in popularity, is that Netflix series, which I will admit. At first, I was like, ah, who cares? Like, because I would, I, I kind of sort of followed Formula One for a little bit, and, and I didn't watch the, the Netflix series. I was like, ah, I'm not that interested, whatever. And people kept saying, no, I think you're going to really like this. You should really watch it. And I'm like, ah, all right, whatever. I got to admit, Joe, it's a, it's a really goddamn good series. It's pretty incredible. I tried it. I didn't like it. You didn't like it? Okay, that's fine. Nah, that's I fair. I couldn't get into but it. But you, you don't have any racing in your blood whatsoever, right? Like, no, zero. Like, you've never sat down and been like, all right, Daytona 500, let's do this. Right. Like, I don't understand racing. I didn't have anybody growing up who followed racing. I mean, racing is just a complete non-starter in the Northeast. Like, it's just, it doesn't... Oh, that that's it, another thing, too. Yeah, I grew up in the Midwest where, like, it, yeah. it, near me, there was, like, growing up, there was, like, four or five different, like, dirt tracks around me that were racing every single Friday and every single Saturday night or whatever. And in addition to, you know, having multiple, you know... Uh, 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 places for you know Indy and NASCAR racing. So yeah, I, I could see they don't uh, they don't run you know 
Albany very often, so I could see how, yeah, it doesn't quite uh, register in the Northeast for you as, as much. You either got to get out into Pennsylvania or you got to go to lower, slower Delaware. I was going to say Brisco Dover, Delaware, country. baby. <laughs> Briscoe country. And that's where you start seeing any kind of racing. It's just a total non-starter in the Northeast. No one follows it. So I didn't come up with it. I was like, all right, I'll try this show. Everybody's raving about the show. I, it didn't hold my interest. So how, how many episodes did you give it? Just one? I, don't, I think I tapped out middle of the second episode. Okay. I just couldn't get in. That's fair. I gave it a fair shot, and it's just like, this is not holding my interest. Yeah, see, I have a little uh, bit of the racing in, blood in me, so that it kind of it, 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 it worked for that. But I have seen people that were not into racing whatsoever that really enjoyed it. So, yeah, I don't know. Well, that's, well, that's, how, that, that's why it's picked up steam. Yeah, because for I sure. Because it's non-racing oh, fans. Oh, it's definitely non-racing fans. fans. Yeah, but, but, yeah, they watched the show, and they got into it. But I will say there is a lot of people that are also sort of were racing fans at one point. Because this happens all the time with racing, and and in America, this is kind of how it's it's been for many many years as well. In the eighties, it was all about IndyCar. IndyCar was like the the powerhouse yeah. racing circuit in America. It was the rage, and then you had a bunch of shit go on in the mid nineties where the IRL and CART and the splits and all this sort of stuff. And NASCAR came out like a dynamo and was like, "Cool, we'll just." And a lot of people that were watching IndyCar went over to NASCAR, just started becoming NASCAR fans. And then NASCAR blew up like crazy. The early 2000s, NASCAR was insane in this country. It was ridiculous yeah. how big yeah. it was. It was doing unbelievably insane ratings uh, on TV, big TV contracts, selling out you know uh, tracks all across the country or whatever. Now, that kind of fell out of favor a little bit in, in the late 2000s or late 2010s, I should say, the last you know, 10, 15 years or whatever. IndyCar has sort of gone up a little bit, not, a, not where it was obviously in the 80s or the early 90s or whatever, but it's gone up a little bit, and then F1's gone up a bunch. But I think there is like a contingency of race fans, quote-unquote, that, that will kind of go to whatever the hot product is at that time. There's no doubt that there's new fans in, in, in all those. There was new NASCAR fans in the 2000s. There was new Indy fans in the 80s or whatever. But you tend to get a large conglomerate of like racing fans that will kind of go to whatever the popular circuit is at that time or whatever. I have a theory. I have an F1 theory. Yeah. Okay. There we go. What do you got? And it, it, I have a theory when it comes to, I think every generation that comes up when you get into your early to mid thirties, maybe I'll expand that to like late twenties to mid thirties. Every generation wants to find like their own thing. A lot of times it's soccer, and I'm talking about in America. A lot of times it's soccer. Oh, we, we've know, talked we've talked about that before. We've talked you, about you it can, a million times. You can go through the oh, the Cosmos are here. Soccer has arrived. Get ready. Like, yeah, it's like you know, you go back to the '70s with the Cosmos, and then late, you know, all these you know, then M1 MLS started up. So yeah. a lot of times it's there was like soccer. 25 indoor leagues in the '90s as well. Before yes. the MLS. And the women's indoor, the men's indoor. They tried so many different leagues. And, and American soccer is just never, ever going to happen. Uh, when soccer finally got a big television contract, that, like they did about a month ago, what was it? It was a Premier League. It was a Premier League. That got the, it wasn't MLS. Okay. Uh, but it's not always soccer. You know, um, like you said, for you know, about 15 years ago, it was NASCAR. Right? And then NASCAR got big for a little while, and then that cooled off. Uh, MMA. For a certain generation and a certain age. That one sustained though. And that one had the staying power that a lot of these other things did not. Yeah, which actually, you know, I listened to a re- – there was like a 30 for 30 podcast about this. And I, I went back and listened to – I think it's from like a year or two ago or whatever. But somebody brought up a great point about MMA and UFC. Like in our lifetimes, a new sport has been created that became like 
a gigantic thing that was worth like four billion dollars. Like that, no other generation has the thing like you're saying that that actually became like a legitimate sport that's going to stay forever. Yeah, and it happened for MMA, and I think the latest one is F1, and I'm not very bullish. You're not buying F1 stock. You're not buying I'm Liberty not. Media stock to uh. Rich, I think we're peaking. I think we're peaking right now with the F1 in America. I, I think it's going to be one of those things where, um, you know, it's this it's this new shiny thing for a lot of young adults. It's uh, They made a good point on the podcast I listened to. It's kind of like it's a thing to do on social media on Sunday mornings, especially if you don't like football, where – you know, the race is happening, and it doesn't take up a lot of your time. Oh, it's an easy – yeah, it's an easy watch, too, for sure. It's like uh, it, it, it takes hour and a half tops, you know what I mean, to watch an entire race on a Sunday. So And there's you pick your heroes and villains because apparently there's a lot of heroes and villains in this thing. And you tweet about it, and that, you know, that appeals to people of that demographic. And then, you know, there's kind of a camaraderie aspect to it. But I kind of see it as – the new sport that crops up every decade or so that the latest generation wants to make a thing. And it's, it's, that's easy to do for a couple of years, but what's harder to do is to have something break into the larger culture and, and, and have staying power. Right. And right. Like right. You said UFC is the only one that has managed to do that. Da- David, uh, David Penton in our chat room brings up a great point. Arena football. Like that was on NBC. Yes. Like that was making yeah. money. I had freaking season tickets to the arena football. Like that was a big deal. John Bon Jovi was investing in it. And these guys, and like that, that, like that range between like 2003 to 2006 or whatever, like arena football, like was doing big ratings and big, th- and it's five years later, gone, just gone, disappeared. Not even a thought in anyone's mind ever again. Yeah, I think I think uh, arena football is a good example too. Yeah, and um, you know, so maybe it's every half generation or so they want to like you, you want to have your own thing. You know, you, you don't. It's like you don't want to watch the sport that your father watches. So you 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 pick up on this new thing, and then uh, they're almost always a little overhyped because people get a little too overzealous about it. So that's kind of my theory with the F one. I, I I think it's way too European. To kind of break into the American uh, larger culture, from what well, I've and seen. that's going to be something. I, I will say it's something to keep an eye on for F one moving forward is they they want to change that. It's yeah, just very hard to, have to do it. Yeah, because it's owned by Liberty Media, which is an American company. Yeah, that's the one that owns the Braves and owns a bunch of stuff or whatever. So um, they they want to, but it's really hard to get in. And there was you know, something earlier this year where uh, Michael Andretti, you probably know the name or whatever, was trying to buy a team. Uh, to get in, and then he was going to put an American driver there, but then that fell through. It's just it's very hard, but I, that's definitely going to be if if you look at the Liberty Media's whiteboard for future plans for F one is like get an American driver. Get there's an American team, but they kind of stink and they're terrible and they're not very good, and that's going to always be a problem too because it's like I don't know that any American team is going to jump in there and be able to compete on the level with any of these other just juggernaut teams. So that that. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting. It, the problem with F1 that I think is going to end up happening with a lot of American fans is that when you have – there's like dominant teams that are just so much better than everybody else and dominant racers that are so much better than anybody else. Eventually, that will get kind of boring for those people, those those people that are just jumping in. Are you going to be happy with the same two people winning every single race for years and yeah. years and years and years? Like, yeah. you know, 
European fans tend to not, I mean, they were fine with, you know, Michael Schumacher winning five or six straight, you know, titles. Cause it was like, all right, well, our guy's going to eventually rise up and do that. I don't know if you're kind of fly by night. Hey, I'm a Netflix fan of F1 is really going to be into like, you know, but right now they're, they're, I would say you're saying they're peaking. I'd say maybe next year they'll peak. Cause right now you just had like, you know, Max Verstappen win his first championship ever and, and unseat Lewis Hamilton or whatnot, who's won eight or seven straight or for whatever it was or whatever. So like right now it's in the perfect spot where it is kind of changing and there's a lot of really cool stuff happening. But I would say you're probably right that we might be close to reaching the peak, but I would say maybe in a couple of years you'll you'll see that sort of downswing. Or people will find something new to, to like or some controversy will happen and then everybody will just move on to something else. So, Do you get the sense that the Southern American NASCAR fan enjoys this sport? Uh, that's a tough read to get. I don't think so, but I, I think that there probably are a bunch of them that are watching. I know that, there's like... There's got to be some crossover. For sure, for sure. Like I said, th- th- there's that there's that contingency of racing fans that will go to whatever the hot product is at that time. So there probably are, are a bunch of those that are saying, hey, you know, NASCAR... And NASCAR's done a bunch of shit on their own to make their product boring as hell and annoying and, and, and whatnot, but... Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if like your dyed in the wool like you know Dale Earnhardt fan is going to be flying a Dutch flag in in favor of you know Max Verstappen anytime soon. I don't know. I, I'm not sure, but there's got to be a few of them that are checking it out and watching it. I mean, if you're a racing fan, I, I think at some point you're a racing fan, but I think a lot of them probably are just going to not watch anything anymore once you know they're done with NASCAR. So I, I don't know. It, it's very it'll be fascinating to see what ends up happening, what kind of TV deals they get and and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Do you notice a pattern, though, that with all of these, like, sports that get hot for a little while? Gerard brings up a great one, too. Slam ball. Slam ball rocked, by the way. But slam ball was another one that was hot for, like, a year and a half and then went away. Do, do you do you agree that the pattern seems to be it's the same age group that latches on to these things? It's never, like, teenagers. It's never 50-year-old men. It's always people that are between like 27 and 35 who decide I'm all in on MMA. I'm all in on soccer. Yeah. I'm all in on F1. Like it's always that age group. It seems like it's never like, you know, high school people like that would they? I think some of these things would have a better chance if those were the age groups that were latching onto these things, but it never is. It's it always like twenty-eight to thirty-five year olds that, that are yes. just bored and looking for something, and then they move on to the next thing. So, yeah, it always seems to be like like I don't want to say young adults because that would be like early twenties. Because I get the and and you know they're busy doing other things, they're still partying and whatnot. But it's always like that, you know, people who are finally living on their own, they're getting their lives together. They you know they 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 either don't have kids or they have young kids, and they. That always seems to be the age group that finds these things and beefs them up, and then I don't know what happens. Do you think they start families or they get more serious in their careers, and then these sort of fad sports drop back off? I don't know what it is, and I don't know even know if my theory is correct, but that always seems to be the age group that it is. It's never like forty-five-year-old guys who you know have three kids and they're a lawyer who are like, you know what? I'm all about fucking. Uh, you know, UFC now. That's, you know, it's never the case. UFC crowds, you know, when it started to blow up in 2005, 2006, it was all guys in their late 20s. Right. It was it was late 20s wrestling fans, basically, that all started watching it and becoming huge fans. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I don't know. Yeah, the, the F1 one will be interesting to see where, where things go 
uh, with, with them moving forward. But uh, yeah, I'm fast. Who was it? Was Bill Simmons and who uh, did that show? I'm, I'm I'm interested in listening. He had uh, he uh, who were his guests? They were. I'll tell you. I'll pull it up real quick. Um, that wasn't the only topic they did. They did uh, you know the the gambling explosion. That sort of uh, all, all topics of um, twenty stuff that blew up in twenty twenty one. Oh, I see. Okay, really. okay. Did you find it? It's, uh, uh, no, I haven't been able to find it yet, unfortunately. <laughs> Great radio. That's not it. Uh, hold on. Is this it? No, that's cousin Sal. Let's see. This is awful. Must have been this show with the Embiid window. Yeah, it was uh, Jason Gay and Brian Curtis. Okay, I, I don't know if I know who those guys are. So, uh, Bill talks with the Ringers, Brian Curtis, and the Wall Street Journal's Jason Gay for a 2020 edition of Sports. Oh, I see. Oh, we got time. We got time stamps here. So, 1628. Yeah, the Formula One Renaissance. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll check that out later. Yeah, and report back on their on their thoughts. So, where where, where did uh, Bill land on that? Um, a lot like me. Like he doesn't get it, but he's curious if it can, you know sustaining growth. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bill's an old school sportsman. He's like picked the sports and the teams that he likes and he's just going to do that forever. You know what I mean? Well, like that's... speaking of Bill Simmons, I mean, he he was the he had a great theory that I agree with. He said basically once you hit a certain age, there's only a certain number of sports that you can follow closely anymore because everything else gets in the way. So all of the other sports like start to drop off. Like right. when you're seven, if you're a big sports fan, when you're 17, 18 years old, you oh follow Oh my God. Everything. I watched. Yeah. When I, I'm, I'm thinking back to my like youth and my high school day, I watched Joe. I'm not kidding. I watched Cal. I was a huge college basketball fan, a huge college football fan, NFL, yeah. baseball, college baseball. I would watch. I watched fucking everything. And now I watch NBA and MLB sometimes. <laughs> that's pretty much it. So that's. Yeah, and that, that's kind of what happens. You know, you, you, you get a job. You and the an union adult. home mortgage, Gasparilla Bowl or whatever the fuck's on my TV now. So, Yeah, and you just you just don't have time to invest in 19 different sports. So you pare it down to whatever your number is. Like your number might be two. You know, I have three sports that I follow closely and watch every game. NFL, Major League Baseball, college basketball. And then I have some periphery sports like – college football, the NBA, where I know what's going on, but I don't care if I miss the games. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's not important enough to me to to change my life to make sure that I don't miss it. And then I have a bunch of sports that have just completely fallen off my radar and I don't pay attention to it all, like the NHL. Like, I, I, I can't name Oh, yeah, I used, to, I used to love the NHL. Yeah, we've, we've talked about that before, and people yeah. joked, oh, no, you you can name more than five NHL players. And, uh, I really can't. No, nah, not really. Yeah, after – after once once Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby retire, I'm at, like – yeah, I'm, pre- I'm getting pretty low there. Those guys I just know because they've been around forever, so – Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Let's do some listener questions. Let's do some listener, listener questions. questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want some wrestling questions, Christmas questions? What do you want here? Uh, whatever looks interesting. All right. So uh, let's let's see here. Let's see. I got a few ones here that I 
I liked. Um, obviously, very. There's a bunch of questions that I might answer uh, text-wise that that I don't know if we're gonna be able to fit in on uh, on this one. But uh, all right, one second here. Uh, oh, this is uh, Gerard brings up a good one. He's, he's in the note of chat right right now as well. So, do you guys see a scenario where AEW continues to grow and signs a huge TV deal, and that Paul Heyman reads the tea leaves and decides to jump there, and he says he would assume that TK would love to have him. So Heyman is a guy that does tend to, you know, go you where know, the wind blows. But do you think he's kind of settled in on, on what he's doing right now and kind of good, just kind of doing it? I think Paul Heyman makes a shit ton of money in WWE because no matter what, he's in the main event. Whether it's with Brock, whether it's with Roman. And he can continue to latch himself onto the main eventers. And that's kind of been his strategy for a number of years, right? Like he was one of the first people to latch himself onto CM Punk. And he was going to build the new ECW around CM Punk. And it just didn't have time to play out. He knew CM Punk was the next thing when he had CM Punk in OVW, right? And then he latched himself on the Brock. And now he latches himself onto Roman. And he tried to latch himself onto Ronda Rousey. And he just, he, he, he knows what's he still has that eye and he still knows what's next. And I think that he makes way too and, and here's the other thing. I think I don't think W I think WWE knows that he'd be dangerous to let into the wild. So yes. Yes. I think that they will do everything in their power to keep him around. They I know that he's, he's smart and gets it and understands the business better than a lot of other people do. And he's not a kid anymore, and he knows that these are his prime earning years, and soon he will be out of his prime earning years. So this is the time to make as much money as possible. You know, how old is he? 48, 49? Paul Heyman is, yeah, I, I would I would have to look that up. I don't know if I have a good read on or a good guess on Paul Heyman. He is 56 years old. 56. He's way older than I thought. So, yeah, that's kind of what I'm speaking to, though. Like, your prime earning years are probably between 45 and 55, right? He's right there on the cusp of being beyond that. So he's just making as much money as he possibly can. And I think that here's the other thing. I'm not so sure that Tony Khan would want him around because Tony Khan would also be uh, intimate, like familiar with the negatives that Paul, Paul Heyman's kind of a snake and you know, it, it's and a master manipulator. And do you want that element in your company? Now I'm sure Tony Khan admires Paul Heyman, and has a lot of admiration for Paul Heyman's career. And he was obviously a fan of ECW and probably thinks the world of his mind. But is that the kind of, you want to risk bringing that guy into your world and disrupting your world. There's that element that comes with Paul Heyman too. And you know, I, I don't I don't know what Tony Khan thinks about that. Yeah, and all you have to do is look at any of Paul Heyman's prior employers that were not I mean Vince McMahon is so much above, you know, Paul that like that's the only guy and still even then he was like get the fuck away from me. Like how many times did he fire Paul and say get away from me? Stephanie could not wait to fire that guy cuz he's he's yeah, like you said he's a snake, he's manipulative. He does, you know WCW, NWA, and look at the lineup of everywhere that he went and yeah, that like 
he's not a guy that, you know, and, and that's kind of his personality and for better, for worse, that's how he is. He's always looking to kind of get better and improve and do this and, 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 and work his way up the ladder and, and, and gain influence or whatever and, and, and have his guys get pushed or whatnot. But yeah, to the, to the detriment of a lot of like people get annoyed as shit at, at him. And, and yeah, you'd have to either assume that he's not that way anymore. And, and then if you're getting that Paul Heyman, like you're getting kind of a, a bastardized, you know, half effort Paul Heyman. That's, I don't know if that's really good either. So if you're getting the truly like, the Paul Heyman that we all know Paul Heyman is like, unless you're Vince McMahon, like, I don't know if I want to work with that guy anymore. It, you know, if you do bring a Paul Heyman in, you know that he has the ear of all of these superstar wrestlers though. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, cause then you have your in to people like Brock Lesnar or whoever else, um, you know, it, it's, the other thing with Tony Khan is unlike a lot of people who have funded wrestling promotions, he's also the booker. He doesn't need a booker, right? Like he doesn't need Paul Heyman to come in to get the creative straight because he's doing pretty well with the creative. And he clearly has long-term ideas that he allows that he's patient enough to allow to play out and his company continues to grow and they're going to get a nine figure television deal. If, you know, assuming the bubble doesn't burst. So what would he need Paul Heyman for? You know, would it be, you know, he's not going to hand over his, you, you get the sense that Tony Khan is someone who not only has proven to be an effective booker, but uh, I don't get the sense that. Oh, he loves that, that shit. Are you he, kidding? Right, he, he doesn't want to give that to that's... anybody. Yeah. He does not want right. to give that to any. Now that he's tasted it and he's gotten it and he's had success with it. He's not giving that shit up for a long time. Yeah. And he's someone who, gets a lot of gratification from people praising his booking. And he's also someone who, um, and I don't want to over, but he, he kind of is hurt when people don't like his booking. I mean, you know, it, it's, we've heard from him when we've been mildly critical, <laughs> like, and he'll explain himself and be like, no, this is why it's good. This is what you're not understanding. Or there's been times where he said, all right, I know this isn't for you, but you know, it's like, so I, I don't get the sense that he's someone who uh, would ever, or, or at least in the near future, want to give that up. So then what would Paul Heyman's role be? You know, an advisor um, on screen? I mean, you know, he's obviously a great on-screen performer. I don't like what he's doing now. I think this is the least interesting he's ever been on screen in his entire career with the, you know, um, you know, my, 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 my tribal chief, like that shit sucks. It's garbage, and, the bug, yeah. and the bugged out eyes. I think he's, this is the least interesting work he's ever done on camera. But with that said, it's exactly what they want out of him. And he does a tremendous job in what they want out of him. There's no question about that because the character he's doing now is supposed to be scared and subservient. And, you know, so he, he, he does what's asked of him and he's a great on screen performer. And I guess, Technically, he's not with Roman right now, but who knows if that's an angle or not, where they did the whole firing thing or whatever. But that's neither here nor there. But um, but yeah, I don't know. It's tough for me to get a read on that. I don't know if, if you know, on the surface, you would think, yeah, obviously, there's got to be some value in a, in a mind like that. Um, but on the other side of it, from Paul Heyman's point of view, he's obviously a very rich man now. He's gotten rich in WWE. He can have this top spot probably as long as he wants. Um, what's to gain for him to go to AEW? 
How much are they going to pay him to do, and 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 what is he going to do exactly? Right, unless he has that hunger anymore. But but I think the the only thing that I think would ever make Paul leave WWE at this point would be if another Money Mark said, "Hey, Paul, I want you to run my wrestling company. Here's two billion dollars or whatever. Run my wrestling company." That might inspire him to say, "Okay, that's cool. That that's me back. You know, I can do my vision of wrestling." I think I don't know. I don't even know if he's motivated that way anymore. I don't even know if he is either because he had that opportunity with TNA many years ago, and ultimately he chose not to do it because he wanted the he wanted it all. He wanted the ownership. Yeah, well, then that that's where they balked a little bit too. But he he was testing how badly they really wanted him to come there. But he he basically was like, "Give me everything," and they were like, "Well, we're not going to." It's give also everything. because. He, well, it's also because he didn't want someone else fucking it up, and he didn't want that failure on his legacy. Right, right, right. So he wanted to make sure, okay, I'll do this, but it has to be me, and I'm in full control, and I'll blame him, you know, when it comes to TNA. And and I think you're right. I don't know if he, he if he's he's 56 years old. Yeah, I don't know if that pushing, hunger's there. Yeah, I don't know if that yeah, hunger's there anymore. He's pushing 60 now, and someone else has done what we all thought he was the only one who could do it. And what I mean by that is. We all thought for years, even Jim Cornette, who doesn't like Paul Heyman, would often say the only person who could save pro wrestling is Paul Heyman. And someone else has saved pro wrestling in America, and it wasn't Paul Heyman. So where's the motivation now? Right. You know, it's like someone else is legitimately competing with Vince. You know, does he want to take Mark Cuban's money in some fantasy scenario and risk being the distant number three and not being able to build anything and then tarnishing his legacy when he already has the money. He's made the money over the last decade. So the motivating factor isn't I can get in the ground floor of something and become a gazillionaire. He's done that already. He's made his money. So the money's not going to be the motivator. Uh, being the guy to finally challenge Vince, well, someone else is doing that already. So like you're saying, I don't even know if he – has that kind of motivation in him anymore. And he's getting older. I mean, he's almost 60 years old. You know, this isn't the... I, I would assume that we've seen the complacency. I, I would say that that's probably more likely the scenario with him because I think he's already been pretty complacent over the last couple of years because there was a while there where, you know, they'd bring him in, then he'd annoy everybody, and then they'd fire him. And they'd bring him in, he'd annoy everybody, and then they'd fire him. He'd bring everybody in, then they'd annoy him, and then he'd say, okay, go to OVW, just stay out of our way. We're not going to fire you, but just don't talk to us anymore. Go over here. And now he's had a pretty steady job for, what, a decade at this point, basically just being coming up, doing the manager thing, leaving. And 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 clearly they're happy enough with it. And 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 you would assume that they probably told him, hey, we don't care about any of your booking theories. We don't care about anything. Just come here, do the thing with Brock. You can you can help us with some ideas with that guy or that person or whatever, but that's all we really – and we heard about that with Ronda where he was, you know, helping a little bit of that and helping gear, gear that a little bit and, and whatnot. But I think – Well, he without question has stroke with his people. For sure, with those people. But he's not, you know, going to Vince and saying, hey, I got some right. great ideas for these ten guys. It's like, no, no, no. no Paul, we're done he, with that. Like he used to do that, and then he would just get fired because they were annoyed of him. Clearly he doesn't wrong. do that they, anymore. They, they, well, they gave him raw for eight months, but we knew that wasn't going to last. Oh, right. yeah, Jesus, yeah. And you know, he really—I forget that know, that even happened. Yeah, right. You know what's funny about that is he tore raw up and started completely over, and you know, treated it like, all right, I'm going to work under the assumption that I, I think deep down he probably knew they weren't going to give him the required time, but he still treated it like they were going to give him the required time. Because he tore it up and started from scratch with Humberto Carrillo and Andrade and Ali and stuff like and that, yeah. Ali and Liv Morgan and and all of these people that you know he was going to build from the ground up, 
And, you know, and, and he knew that ratings were going to dip at first because none of these people were established. And, you know, and, and he's the one who taught Gabe Sapolsky that it takes six months to get somebody over. You don't know whether you've gotten somebody over until, you know, six months. And that's something Gabe Sapolsky has repeated to, to me. Like, oh, it takes six months to get someone over. And, and he, you know, he learned that from Paul Heyman. So he knew the raw thing wasn't going to work instantly. He knew the ratings were going to fall. But the goal was to get all of these new people over. And that was the right way to approach it. But you knew that in this company, they were never going to let it play out. And none of us know whether it ultimately would have worked or not. And, you know, a year on or however it's been since Vince put Pritchard back in control, whether today, you know, uh, Alistair Black and Humberto Carrillo and whoever else would have been big stars drawing big ratings. We, we never – and we were never going to – we knew that he was not going to get the required time. But – it's interesting to me that he did try his own thing. Drew McIntyre was one of his guys. That's one of the ones that they stuck with, one of the few. But it's like, so maybe there is that fire inside where he wants to create new stars and do things the right way. I don't know. But I don't know if he wants to do it outside. I think his goal right now is to keep leveraging himself to make sure he stays on top in that company until he feels like he has enough money and he could retire when he's 65 and just disappear and, you know, live out the rest of his days with a very large bank. Yeah, account. I right. think that's his end game right now. And he's piling up that money as we speak. And I think the moment that his hustle doesn't work anymore and he's not attached to the top acts, I think he would probably leave that company Mm -hmm. but why would he do that now he's attached to roman reigns right 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 so as long as that gravy train keeps rolling and 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 people will let him you know and he's allowed to you know like we said have influence over those top guys too and 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 be able to to be in the in the room and say hey you know it'd be great if brock did this or it'd be great if ron did this it'd be great if roman does this and and have that be heard and not be shouted out of the room like yeah you know that that's yeah. Well, he gets in those people's ears and says, "No, you should turn this down. No, you should, you right, should pitch right, this." Right. And, and a lot of and and listen, it's still Paul Heyman. A lot of that is stuff that's going to work in his favor. Like you know, like talking Brock out of doing a job or something, <laughs> right, so he right. can get two more pay per view main events. That means Paul Heyman has two more pay per view main events. So it's still the pro wrestling. Yeah, the, the getting's good. The getting's good for Paul right now. There's no need for him to yeah ever ever yeah, explore anything you know? else. I mean, I suppose Tony Khan could offer him a boatload of money, but again, to do what? I don't understand what he would do. Uh, you know, that, that's, you know, I, because because Tony Khan has not only been a successful booker in his three years doing this, but like you said, he clearly loves to book wrestling. I mean, you know, he talks about it every chance he gets. He's been doing this in notebooks since he was eight years old. He loves doing it. And... Now he's doing it for real with real, like, you know, he loves it as much as like me or you would love it because he's one of us. So, you know, what what are you hiring Heyman for? Heyman is someone that if Mark Cuban or Elon Musk or somebody wanted to start a wrestling company and they need someone to head up their creative, that's, that's when you need Paul Heyman. But Tony Khan occupies both of those roles. Right. So that's the issue there. Uh, Steel has a, a pretty good question here. Steel O'Neill says, uh, do, you, do you have any wrestling New Year's resolutions? Also, if you can have uh, any one wrestling wish come true uh, in 2022, 
uh, what would it be? So, so what's something that you wish you could have in 2022 with wrestling? I think mine is, is, is pretty simple, but uh, what's yours? Mine is a no-brainer. I'll let you go first. Okay. I want wrestling fans in Japan to be able to make noise again. That's mine. Yeah. <laughs> That's I knew it was going to be yours because somebody then, a follow-up question to that, the reason I asked this is because I knew that that was probably going to be your answer. Uh, someone said here, let me see if I can find exactly where it was, but they just essentially said, is there any way that you think that wrestling in Japan can come back in 2022 if the fans can't make noise? Like, is there any way that there's going to be a resurgence in Japan if, if, if we're still in clap crowds? Here we go. Lewis, Lewis says, uh, can the Japanese wrestling scene properly bounce back in 2022 if fans are still not allowed to chant? I would say no. I, I mean, from my personal standpoint, no. I mean, it, a lot depends, too, on how many tickets they're allowed to sell. We don't have any evidence as to whether crowds that are restricted to clapping and making no mouth noises would sell out big buildings. We don't know the answer to that. In other words, I don't know if there's a cap on how many Japanese wrestling fans would buy tickets to wrestling shows if they can only clap. Maybe they would still fill, you know, Sumo Hall and and Budokan. I don't don't know the answer to that. And maybe we'll find out because in some of these buildings – they're giving the promotions a choice. You can sell 100% tickets with no noise, or you can sell the partial tickets with noise. Right? Isn't that what they're doing? And big I Japan think so. Is- yeah, but I mean, obviously, with with what's going on right now, I, I, I it's and probably it unlikely. Yeah, it's probably yeah. unlikely that's going. But yeah, that was something that was being floated. That okay, you can have 100% capacity, but they can't clap, or you can have X amount of percent capacity, and they can you know make noise or whatever. And then you have to risk that. Okay, so is it worth having 100 people make noise or is it worth having 500 people clap? And from the actual business of a wrestling standpoint, like a wrestling company, like I think you're probably going to want the 500 people that can clap. But like from our standpoint as, as viewers, I think I'd probably take 100 people making noise over the 500 people clapping anymore. If I'm running – if look, if I'm New Japan, I'm selling capacity. If I'm zero one or Big Japan, I'm doing – the partial capacity and choosing the atmosphere because I'm not selling out the building anyway. Yeah. And then I'm going to go for the atmosphere and see if I can get an edge on my competitors. But if I'm Dragon Gate or New Japan or Noah and I can fill Cork and I'm selling every fucking ticket, uh, you know, Noah's parent company lost money last year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can't afford um, to say, well, aesthetically, it's better if we make less money. Who gives a shit? <laughs> you can't sell that to your, you no, know. No, we need to sell tickets. Right. We need to make money here. But, yeah, my if I had a magic fucking wand and had one wish and it had to be for restricted to wrestling, yeah, Jap- full Japanese crowds that can make noise is what I would want. I mean, so we're on the same page there. So, yeah, I, I and, and his question, can it bounce back? It's just, personally for me, no. <laughs> like, I, I'm... It's it's, hard, it's very it's tough. Hard. Like I, I watch it, I'm still watching it, and I'm still you know, but but it, it doesn't have the same feeling, the same passion, without those crowds what? making noise. And so many times, I'm just left saying, "Ah, oh, man, it'd be so much better if they were making noise." And obviously, I get it. You know, I absolutely get it why they would do it. But um, yeah, it, it, it's yeah, it's it's. Tough. I don't think the COVID variants are ever going away. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I think eventually we're going to have to make a choice as a planet to either this is life now or let's just fucking 
maybe we just have to live with this and 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 take some risks. Right, right. This this, these... this this might be what this next variant even is too. Is when people just realize, yeah. okay, look, everyone's going to get this one, but less people are going to die. That's what you want is is what a virus is supposed to want to do. Not to make this like, you know yeah. epidemiology podcast, but like you want a virus to spread a lot and not kill people, and that's what the virus wants to do. A virus doesn't want to kill you. Yeah. The virus wants to spread. So in an ideal world, we have this thing where everybody gets it. But nobody dies from it, and then we're fine. Or some, you know, some people will die. You know, obviously, like the flu. Or, yeah, yeah. A lot of people we'll get the flu. Full, yeah. Maybe we'll come full circle. Like the beginning of COVID, people were like, "Oh, it's just a bad flu." Well, maybe the end game with COVID is it does end up. It like does. The yeah, flu. that's what you want. You and, want it to mutate into just being a bad flu. Yeah, and the flu kills tens of thousands of people every year, and and it's something that no one really talks about. It's just the thing that we know is a thing like we can't do anything about it maybe that's what covid eventually becomes just unfortunately we have this second flu-like thing that kills old people every year and you know we all line up to get our fucking vaccines the way we get flu vaccines yeah to try to prevent that and i think eventually we might have to just accept that and you know and i don't know but i i think if 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 Japanese wrestling comes back to full crowds that can make noise. I think New Japan is really a promotion to watch when that happens because they're going to have a great roster and fans that are hungry to cheer again, a roster that's hungry to prove themselves again. And, um, you know, a lot of people on the roster who had moments ruined by all of this over the last two years who are going to want to get those moments back. I think New Japan is really going to – they have a chance to be a hot promotion – and that's not a popular opinion right now, by the way. Okay. There's a lot of people who think it's just over for New Japan. But I think they're just clouded by the last two years. And I, I think that that era of New Japan is over. I was leading the charge on that. That era of New Japan is done. That was a golden era and it's over. Okay. But I think this next era, whatever that's going to be, can be really good when Japan gets back on its feet and we get all this straightened out. And the, and the fans are back and the fans are cheering. That's a loaded roster. And I understand House of Torture is there. But let's remember one other thing. New Japan was never 90s All Japan to begin with. There was always some element of that kind of shit. Right. It just stands out a lot more because there's not like a great, you know, there's not the next match after the House of Torture bullshit isn't Kenny Omega versus, uh, you know, Okada in a 60 minute classic or whatever. So that, that. And Rich, we always say this. We almost threw our hands for good. When AJ Styles cheated to win that title from yeah, Okada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Yujiro in turned on Okada, we're like, fuck this company. It's over. 2014. Yeah. That was 2014. Yeah, I'm done with Bullet Club bullshit. I'm done. <laughs> we were done with Bullet Club in t- in almost 10 years ago. So between Bullet Club and Suzuki Gun and LIJ and all of these heel factions that went through their phases of heavy cheating and heavy interference, New Japan, even during that golden era, always had an element of this House of Torture stuff. Now, you might hate House of Torture more than you hated those other groups, and that's fair, and that's fine, and I get it, but we shouldn't pretend that New Japan, that this is something new. They've always had an element of this Western stuff, always. And we have always kind of either just rolled our eyes at it or lived with it or just, and, and you know, uh, but it's always been there. So I don't think no matter how bad House of Torture gets or how hard they get pushed, that New Japan still can't be great when it comes back. Um, that other era is over. 
I think COVID is a nice dividing line. Like when we look back in 20 years, we're going to say COVID was really the dividing line. And it is a perfect dividing line because Naito finally got that big win over Okada in the Dome. And then a month later, COVID comes. And really that Naito win, as I've been saying, that was the end of that era. That was, yeah. And you said it at the time too. When it, when it happened, pr- pr- even prior to COVID, you said when that, when that one, two, three hit, that was it. That era closed that era and a new, a new era began. Naito's story arc was finished. Okada's story arc was finished. And that was the era of Okada and Naito. And it was done at that moment. And then COVID came. And this was supposed to be the era of Kota Ibushi, Will Ospreay, Shingo, uh, unfortunately, Evil, um, you know, whoever else. Okay, that's what this was supposed to be. Hiromu. But COVID has delayed it by two years. But in 20 years' time, we can look back and COVID's going to be that dividing line. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if, if, if COVID disrupted the pushes and the elevations of Abushi and Osprey and Shingo and, and did enough damage to where you're not going to be able to get those guys over as much as those previous guys were. It may have. But in terms of in-ring quality and the quality of the product, I am very, very bullish on New Japan. Uh, doing very well once things get back to normal. Now, the business, I don't know. You know? Because this was such a... These two years that they lost were so vital in getting these new people over. Yeah, they were going to be transition years no matter what. And now they're just like the most transition years you can think of because it's... it's... And now we don't know whether it worked or not. Right, we we have no idea who's... we're, We're using this person claps louder and this person is higher up on the merch ratings than the other person. It's like, oh my God, like that... We don't know anything. It's it. We don't know... You know, and Kota Ibushi's 40 and Shingo is 40. Yeah. And, you know, Will Ospreay's still in his 20s, but it's like... This next group of guys aren't even – they're older than the ones they're replacing in some cases, you know? So it's like – but they're just getting their turns now. And Kota Ibushi's breaking down physically. And time waits for no man. I mean, we Shingo, you know, he's a machine, but it's going to happen to him too. It happens to everyone. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. But, you know, so I I think New Japan – um at least in terms of the the in ring, they're they're too loaded. They're just they're, they're, they're too loaded, and and they're developing people in the United States under everyone's nose, with the New Japan Strong. Whether it's the young kids, um, you know your Clark Connors and your Carl Fredericks who haven't gotten their chance yet. These two years would have been, you know, Carl Fredericks would have been two years into a push by now, and he's gotten nothing. And then all the other people like your, your, your you know, your, your law, your Tom Lawlors and, and these other, you know, your Brody Kings, maybe depending on what happens with him with AEW, you know, so I don't know. I, I, I'm really bullish on new Japan post COVID, but who knows if post COVID will even ever happen. I, I, you know, maybe this just is the reality now. I, right. I don't know. Right. Um, this is a good question from Sean here. I believe this is Sean Flynn who says, uh, should NWA have put the, again, Christmas related question here. Uh, should the NWA have put over Kerry Von Erich Christmas night, 1982 for the world title? We talked about that setting the stage for the, uh, Freebirds uh, Von Erich's feud, but would that have been a better option to go with, uh, Kerry Von Erich as the NWA champion instead of doing the Freebirds feud there? I think Kerry Von Erich would have self-destructed no matter what. And I think Kerry Von Erich would have been someone who I would give the world title to 
but is not someone that I would have hold the world title for two reasons. I think he's the kind of baby face where it's all about the chase and it's not about then defending the title. And I think there's a lot of baby faces like that. And he's one of them. And the other thing is, would you trust Kerry Von Erich to bounce around from territory to territory? Oh, God, no. And I was going to say, yeah, the, the role of an NWA champion at that time, especially 1982, when, when they needed it you know, more than ever, uh, was guy who, who is going to go to St. Louis and go to you know, Florida and, go and bounce around and, 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 and draw in those big cities or whatnot. So, yeah, it was – no. Do I trust Kerry Von Erich to survive uh, a run touring the country in 1982? No, I don't think he survives the year. Uh, you know, physically, mentally, or or, or business wise, no. I think he he's a question just to make the towns. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess maybe you could have had him win that night and then lose, you know, two days later, or whatever. But at That's that point, how, I think, yeah. But what they did, I think, was fine. I mean, it obviously kickstarted, you know, the biggest uh, business that that company had 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 had, had ever done. So yeah, I, I it you know they they were whatever they chose instead was, was pretty damn good. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was fun because it was Christmas related, kind of fancy booking thing. But yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't think Kerry's destructive habits would have done well, you know, on the road by himself <laughs> for, for much long. So uh, Joe says here, Joe R says, uh, do you see yourself dropping any new promotions uh, this year? Any any promotions you're going to drop this year? Or are you kind of sticking with what uh, the, the promotions you're watching right now? Is NXT 2.0 on the chopping block, Joe? I have dropped Game Changer, and I'm not picking it back up. There you go. Well, hey, that brings up a – do you want me to get a, a, a backup question to that one as well? Because uh, Karan asks here, what do you think of the ceiling of GCW could be, uh, despite their low production values and at times lack of booking, their shows receive noteworthy buzz and are the biggest indie going in the U.S. at the moment? Uh, do you uh, see Hammerstein being the peak for GCW, or could they possibly turn that momentum into something greater? I think you're going to take umbrage with them being the biggest indie going in the U.S., right? I mean, I don't know. I Look, look they probably are, but I just watched a House of Glory. What, what's Amazing Red's promotion called? Hog? Hog, yeah, House of Glory. But what's it stand for? House of Glory? Yeah, mm-hmm. I just watched a hog show main evented by Willow Spray and Amazing Red that had a packed house as big as any Game Changer crowd I've ever seen. Uh, Hood Slam drew a four-figure crowd a couple of months back. Uh, New Japan arguably is drawing the same or better than Game Changer, and I'm not taking anything away. Yeah, from Northeast Major, Wrestling's but... trying to run in January. They're trying to run the, uh, the, the Mid-Hudson Civic Center or whatever. Oh, look, Game Changer has an incredible amount of buzz among a certain kind of wrestling fan. And, AAW and... does great in Chicago. Monthly. We've never we've never knocked them, and they probably are the the number one indie in the United States right now. But I think indie wrestling as a whole is probably stronger than a lot of people think it is. You know, when you look at some of these, you know, uh, these other shows. But I do think they're near their peak. I think Hammerstein might be the peak. Um, you, where do you go from here? They don't make stars. They um, they're they're they have the risk of getting to where ECW got to a certain point where it's like, all right, we can't grow beyond where we are but we don't have the means to grow you know what i mean like we we're gonna go and do this hammerstein thing and 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 somebody ecw one you know they started getting on pay-per-view okay we're on pay-per-view now all right so what's next okay well now we're on you know national tv well it's fuck okay the national tv that's there's a lot of extra costs that come involved with it and that's i think that's where game trader is going to get to i think that they're you know fine where they are right now but yeah where, where else do they go they're they can run these you know these sort of smaller buildings pretty regularly, but they can't run, you know, actual arenas. That's I, I, I don't think that they're at that they, level they, at all. And they'll never they'll never be as big as ECW was. They, no, they just, no. ECW was a legitimate number three in the most competitive time in wrestling history, and they were outdrawing the number two on pay per view at times. 
in the most competitive era. You know, they were doing shows that were drawing thousands of fans. I mean, I think their biggest show was five, wasn't it 5,000 in Buffalo or something like that? But, you know, thousands of fans at times. And I don't know how many, you know, Game Changer, how many times have they broken a thousand to this point? Maybe once or twice, and they will at Hammerstein. ECW was running Hammerstein, uh, you know, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, I don't, and ECW got on TV and ECW was running successful pay-per-views and making and, video and, games. And yeah, and game changers not going to get to that level. They're never getting a TV deal. I mean, it's, it's, they're not, you know, they, they can't and not be what they are. They can't get a TV deal and be what they are. So they're never going to be as big as ECW. And ultimately at the end of the day, ECW failed. Um, I do think they're starting to peak. I personally don't watch. I used to force myself to watch the shows just to keep up with them. I give up. I'll watch the Hammerstein show. Well, and, and I think there's too many other indies that we're not watching because we feel like we have to watch exactly. GCW. And 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 yeah, like and, something like this, you know, match with Amazing Red and Will Ospreay. I didn't even know hap- I didn't even know that was happening. And that I guess that speaks to his point too that GCW is really good at generating buzz and getting yes. you know sort of our sphere and our circle to talk about him and and, and give them attention. And, and yeah, more, all the credit to them on doing that, but. At the same the time, shows, but then the shows are terrible. The shows are terrible. <laughs> yeah, and I, that, that's a matter of taste. But you know, I used to force myself to watch just to because to keep up, and I don't do that anymore because I never ever enjoy a game changer show because they're bad. The talent's not very good. The matches aren't very good. The booking is terrible, except at the very top of the card where they do a nice job with their main event stuff. Give them credit for that. Um. It's just not my kind of promotion, and that's okay. And I've accepted that, and I don't, I don't follow it anymore. I'll watch Hammerstein, and I'll watch whatever big show they have. Uh, but your rank-and-file show that they have every weekend, I'm not wasting my time with that. And, like, you made a good point. It, it, and and it, it eats up my time when I could be watching indies that I'm going to enjoy more. Um, I just don't think it's very good. You know, and, and I can give them credit for their growth and what they're achieving while also saying that I don't really enjoy it. And I don't, sure, you know, and I don't think that's, you know, that that's just my taste, I guess. But um, no, but in terms of the question, yeah, I don't know. I think they're, they're hitting the ceiling. I mean, what else can, you know, and then I think they don't, you know, it's, I don't know. There's some things that I, <laughs> it's tricky because what, Who's their next guy after Nick Gage? You know, it's like, because Nick Gage isn't going to be around forever, and there's a shelf life on Nick Gage, and 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 that and and that's where their poor booking comes into play. Who are they developing on their undercards, and what are they doing to develop them? It's just everything that makes GCW appealing to people. The fact that it's kind of like, um. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The fact that it's just kind of like um, uh, rough around the edges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of those things that make it appealing to people are also what's going to hold it back. Because you got to have some structure and they don't put any effort into booking their undercard. And it's uh, it, it's what's what's what has helped them get to where they are is what is also going to hold them back. And I, I don't know. I don't want to call it a fad promotion. I don't think that's the right verbiage, but I mean, geez, 
you see one Game Changer show, you've seen them all. It really is the truth. I mean, and their fan base hasn't grown tired of it yet. But, you know, a lot of people will tell you that Barely Legal was it. That is when ECW peaked, and it was all slowly downhill from there. Creatively, um, just the buzz, the, the cool factor. Once they got, like, pay-per-view was the goal. They got to pay-per-view, and now it's like, okay, well, now what are we? Are, are we this corporate thing? Are we this thing that's trying to get a TV deal? Uh, now the big boys have noticed, and they're taking our stars. And Hammerstein might be that for Game Changer. It might be, okay, we got there. Our, 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 our collection of misfit toys made it. And the Ally Cat and Effie and Jordan Oliver and all these people that nobody wants were in Hammerstein and we sold it out. But then what then? Like, is that going to be sort of an emotional peak for everyone? The fans. You know, it's like we the fans will take pride. Oh, we got it there and we're here and we're game changer and no one believes in us and no one believes in our roster. Yeah, but now what? Because you can't get on TV. Yeah, and 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 especially in America, there's this tough, there's this really hard ability to to get beyond like a big time indie, and like there's just not the venues to book, there's not the places to get distributed on. Like we're a weird place in that sense. Like you could be this sort of level of a company in Japan and probably be okay, uh, and, and be able to consistently run and, and consistently, you know quote-unquote profitable or whatever but like it's really hard in america to do that it, it's just it, it's hard there's just there's not venues that you can there's not like you know a bunch of 1000 to 2000 seat venues around there and and you you know you can go back and you know run 400 seat things and 200 seat things or whatever but if you can continue to have to step up with your booking and and start booking bigger stars and bigger people and bigger attractions all that sort of stuff that that price is going to start increasing and increasing and increasing and then the costs are going to become too much you're not gonna be able to and that's that's kind of what everybody falls into and that's the problem that every wrestling company falls into uh eventually and you want it's good you know you're successful if you've fallen into this but it's you know like and, and we say it for this podcast too like you know too big to be small and 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 you know too small to be big and it it, it, it causes a real weird position to be in for a GCW. So I, I, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but Hammerstein. Yeah. Maybe it's a jumping off point to something bigger and better that we don't even see. Or, or like you said, it could be that emotional final. Okay. This is the peak. And and now, you know, what's next, what's down the pike. And, and maybe there isn't anything. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's uh, been the same core roster for a long time. Cause it's just the, it's the remains. It's, I mean, they've marketed the Hammerstein show show like that. Yeah. They've oh, and and I would say what, what I what I will say they've done a good job of being aggressive with people that have been recently released and and whatnot. Like they they are bringing in like you know your yeah. your you guys recently released guys that are at least you know and and the top indie they're they're booking a lot of those guys in addition. They're also starting to kind of dip their toes in the hey here's an old nostalgia act guy, and that's also a weird path to go down too. That can can sometimes become dangerous. You know when you start booking your Kevin Nashes and your Sabus and your stuff like that, like. You know, it's cool, but then you start kind of losing the core of that we're anti-establishment, you know. You're just another indie. You know, every indie down the line books, you know, old dude to do a meet and greet type thing. So, you know, it's going to be tricky. I don't know. I I just don't find the promotion interesting at all. I Their shows don't interest me. When I do watch the shows, they're usually bad. Um, I don't like Deathmatch, so that doesn't help because they are, are obviously built around Deathmatch to a large extent. And I'm just, I don't, I don't know. I don't care about that. Deathmatch is the lowest form of wrestling in my opinion. I just, 
and I, that sounds crueler than it's intended, but I just, I, I'm, I, I'm not a deathmatch guy, so that doesn't appeal to me. Uh, they're not, they're endless scrambles with, you know, just don't appeal to me. Um, Nick Gage isn't interesting to me at this point anymore, no matter how charismatic he is. The guy can barely move. I mean, the guy can barely walk. Um, I don't know. I just don't find the promotion to be interesting personally. And the only interesting thing to me when it comes to Game Changer is what we've just been discussing. Is this the peak? Right, the where, and, where the business goes from here. Can they grow? Yeah, that, that aspect of it is interesting to me, but... Um, getting back to the original, original question, promotions I'm going to drop, I've already dropped Game Changer and that's not going to change. I mean, I just, I don't know. I've wasted far too much time watching shows that ultimately I never, ever like. I can't think of a Game Changer show where I was like, wow, that was a, that was a fun three hours of wrestling. It's always, I always come away from their shows like, oh, fuck, I could have done anything right, else. Right, which you don't have to do that. <laughs> don't do I that. Don't have that's, to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's not smart. Don't do that anymore. I guess, so. I guess the ones I've been to live, I guess like, those I've enjoyed to some extent. It is, it's a good live show. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, but uh, watching it on a stream with Kevin Gill cursing in my ear and, you know, uh, a bunch of wrestlers that I don't think are very good. I mean, it's just not, yeah, no thanks. Um, do you have another mystery topic? I, I have a good question, but I want to kind of put it towards the end of the show. So do you have a, a, a mystery topic you can uh, you can spring on me or do you want this question? Mystery topic. All right, what do you got? Mystery topic was it three, I guess would be, right? Three, four? This would be four. Um, Anthony Agogo, jumping the shark a little here. See, uh... Oh, the the Twitter gimmick. Yeah, no, that that he jumped the shark like months ago with me. Yeah, he uh, just this unprovoked stuff towards Gresham. I mean, what's he doing? I don't I, know. Uh, yeah, why? yeah. This so you know, that stuff's worse. Like there was this stuff. Like I don't know, it was like six or seven months ago, when we were like, he started tweeting, and we're like, holy crap! Like this is a great, you know, dumb jock, and he's an idiot, and like that. We thought it was great. Like it was, it was a fun gimmick for a little bit, and then like it was every day, and it was like, okay, well now you're self aware, and now it's not as fun or interesting or whatnot. And now, yeah, go I, the, the going at Gresham stuff is is just kind of kind of cringe I, on Once both we, ends it's cringe if you're just doing it on your own and it's also yeah. cringe if it's like some part of some big story that these two are, are doing well this. i think we've i think we found out that like gresham's not in on it which makes it very cringe yes like, it's it, it's you know if if they're working an angle that's one thing um but it's grisham has made it pretty clear gresham's made it pretty clear that it, it's not uh, he's flat out said this is not an angle and this guy's a dick. Yeah, his, his for people that don't know, Anthony Gogo just kind of making short jokes at, at, at Jonathan Gresham. Uh, Jonathan Gresham did eventually, they went back and forth a little bit. He tweeted that, no, it's not an angle. It is not a gimmick. We are not working on this together. It is simply someone going into business for themselves and legit taking shots at myself and my wife online. But please continue to support that kind of behavior as it seems to entertain you. His uh, quote tweeted that was, uh, taking shots when I shoot mountains fall. Nothing but lighthearted jabs to the champ was only a bit of fun, kid. No need for tears. And I said nothing to wifey other than I didn't know who she was and I didn't. If you want to chat, man, you know where to find me. Champ. Kiss emoji. So, Yeah. But it's like, uh, look, Jordan Grayson is very online. We all know that she's very online. And... um you know, she's married to Gresham, so obviously they probably think in a lot of the same ways on a lot of things. But it's like, it felt—it just felt cringy because it felt unprovoked. Yeah. Like, why are you just coming out of nowhere, ripping on Gresham and calling him short? And, you know, I, I, I it felt very cringe to me from that aspect. Now, someone pointed out that 
a fan, a go-go made a tweet and a fan said, well, you're not as cool as Jonathan Gresham or something like that. And I think Grace or Gresham, one or the other, like slapped like on it or retweet on that or yeah. something. And then a go-go. <laughs> we should all be less online is what I'm hearing. I hate all yeah. of this. Stop describing this story. I don't want to hear it anymore. It's all of, everybody log off. <laughs> Jesus like Christ. it's all started because someone liked a tweet uh, and got annoyed about everybody it. Everybody log off. <laughs> Throw your phones in the body of water closest to you. Stop. This is all terrible. I hate it all. It's all so dumb, you know, and, and but but I think a go-go, um, you know, this is a guy who's what had two wrestling matches in his life. I mean, I, you know, I get the boxing background and I, I get the gimmick and all that, but fire these shots at people in your own company. Like, you know, build angles in your own company. Why are you taking unprovoked shots at people that don't even work in your company? Like, what are you trying to do here? Yeah, you know? it's not smart. It's, it's, it's dumb. Cause, you know, it's top dollar level nonsense. Right, is right, what it right. Is. It's, it, all it does is get you a, a few people that might, you know, put fire emojis in a reply on Twitter, but it means absolutely nothing. And all, all it does is it can affect your career and it could get you and, you know, as, as top dollar can probably uh, uh, speak to it. It can sometimes make you lose your job and make you lose your friends jobs too. So yeah, he'll never admit that, but it's funny how we were a hundred percent right on everything with that guy. Yeah. Everything but, right down to Shane Strickland saying he has nothing to do with hit row anymore. And, uh, he gave the old. It was almost like a relationship breakup quote. Yeah, <laughs> it's not me. It's it's not him. It's me. And but you know what? We've gone. Our, you know, we're we're still friends, but we're yes. just not going to do anything together ever again. So yes, he gave the old. We're still friends. You know, <laughs> but like, I don't want to work with him at all ever again. Yeah, but we're not working <laughs> together, and we're not working together anymore. But we're still buddy. That's like when you break up. You're like, well, we still love each other, but we're just in different places. Know? We're just in different yeah. places in our lives, Joe. So. And it played out exactly how he said it would, that this guy was going to put heat on himself and unfortunately take three other people down with him and that eventually Shane Strickland was going to have to remove himself from this person. Rich, that's everything that eventually happens, all in a one-month span. He took himself down. He took three other people down with him and cost them their jobs. And then Shane Strickland said, you know what? I want nothing to do with you. We're, 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 we still love each other, but, uh, you know, we're not, we're, we're in different places. You know, it played out exactly how we said it would. It's, it's incredible. So, um, you know, and this a go-go thing, it feels like a little similar. Like, what are you doing? That guy doesn't work for our, like, he doesn't work for your company. Shoot on people in your company and try to build an angle. Now, if Gresham is lying and this is all some four-dimensional chess. Then it's even cringier meta, somehow. Yeah. Yes. Then it becomes even worse. But I don't get the impression that that's what's happening here. But, you know, it's wrestling, crazier shit that happens. But from my point of view, if I'm Anthony Gogo, why am I going out of my way to make enemies? Why? What's the, what, what, what does that accomplish? Yeah. Everybody, and, everybody log off. Everybody log off, please. Gresham's been doing this for 15 years. This guy has done nothing. He's wrestled two matches, and one of them was terrible. Right, like, and, he, like, and he's, you know, I would, I would uh, you know, also note that uh, Gresham is starting his own wrestling company and that, you know, you, you might, you know, just in case, you might want to, you know, not bash. Like we always say, it's, you never know what job is going to come down the line. You never know. You always have to keep some connections open. You, 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 can, you can bury some people and start feuds with some people, but you always want to at least keep your, 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 
You want to keep your nose somewhat clean in terms of actual like going at guys and going at fellow coworkers or whatnot or, or fellow wrestlers because you never know when you have to be in the same locker room with that person or when you need that person to book you or when you you know what I mean like whether that's going to ever be a problem for Anthony Gogo probably not but you know just in case it's probably not probably best practices not to uh, to do this type of stuff but. It's also funny. There's two things you can pick on in this world, and it's okay. You can call people short, and you can call them old. Why are those two things okay, and nothing else is okay? You know what I mean? Like, it's a rhetorical question. I don't expect you to answer, but why? Like, people can't control how tall they are. They are. They have, you have zero control of that. But for some reason, even the wokes, they love to point out when people are short and fucking rip on people for being short, and. You're allowed, even the wokes will, will go out and call people old. Ow, oh, you're old. Your opinion on you know, you're fucking old. You're, you know, I don't understand why those two things are okay. <laughs> yeah, old I, and I've short, never, yeah. Old and short. You can say whatever you want. If someone's old, if someone's short. Now, look, now, people have tried to explain it. Well, short, those people aren't systematically oppressed for being short. So that's why that's okay. I don't know if I agree with that. I think short people do have some disadvantages, but okay, I'll take. But old people, you can't make that argument. Old people are discriminated against. So why is that okay? <laughs> like that one, they're definitely, the ageism is real. But for some reason, you can fucking run around and say anything you want to people if they're short or if they're old. That that never added up to me. You got another question? I do. Yeah, this is a, this is a good one here from uh, Joe Gagne, uh, our, our friend, host of the five-star match game on the Voice Wrestling Podcast Network. Uh, Joe Gagne says, best and worst wrestling-related presents you've ever received. So, Joe, what's the best... And maybe the worst wrestling-related present you've ever received. I have never received a wrestling-related present. Never any sort of wrestling. So you, no mom, no brother, no friend, nothing. Um, not since I was a child. Well, th- that I think that counts. Um, nothing that stands out in your mind. No. Wow. And as an adult, I've never received a wrestling-related. Have you gift. asked for wrestling-related gift as, as an adult? Yeah, I haven't either. So that's, which speaks to my, I don't ask for anything as an adult, but I especially don't ask for any wrestling related no, stuff. Definitely so. not. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Give me this uh, DVD. You know, give me SummerSlam. I can't imagine me as like an adult being like, yeah, give me a, you know, can I get a. Yeah, I'm not a guy who just, I don't like stuff. I don't, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I, like, I'm not knocking people who like this. I, I don't just, I'm not, I don't, I don't know. I don't really want anything. Yeah. My, 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 the definite best one for me is, uh, I, I asked for uh, WrestleMania 2000 on the, uh, N64 and I got it. And, and my dad got the game and he got me a strategy guide and all that sort of stuff. And when I opened it, maybe this is where I get my guilt from wrestling. gifts. <laughs> is actually this moment. I think we figured this out. This is good. We've had a three hour therapeutic session here. So I opened the gift. And I go, oh, awesome. Oh, man, thank you, Dad. You know, I really want to wrestle me. I, I wanted this game. Thank you so much. And he goes, do you have any fucking idea what I had to go through to get you that game? Because <laughs> apparently it was sold out everywhere. He, at that time, was working for a trucking company. So he's, like, bribing truck drivers to make, a like, a copy fall off the back of a truck or something and, and go through some back alley channels. He, he, wouldn't even t- he wouldn't even tell me all the stuff that he had to go through. He's like, I, it, it would take too long for me to even explain. But essentially, it came from Mississippi, and I had a driver who had to, like, I had to pay him overtime so that he could come back to, you know, from Mississippi to Chicago on Christmas Eve to drop the game off. And I'm like, you know, I'm thinking, you really didn't have to do it. Like, it's okay. Like, I could have just lived without WrestleMania 2000. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And then, so me, okay, you know what? We figured out why I had the guilt for all my gifts. Because then at that time, I felt, like, horrible that my dad made, had, like, 
he had to work day and night. He had to have these, you know, truck drivers work, you know, calling people all over the place to find one damn copy of WrestleMania 2000. And I love WrestleMania 2000. Fantastic game. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I played it all that day and played it for, you know, years to come and still one of my favorite wrestling games ever. But Jesus, I didn't need like that much work for it. I didn't need the guilt trip about it either. So um, I guess it's my best, but also my worst because it's caused me to feel bad anytime people buy me gifts now. So. Well, you found the root of it. You didn't have to yeah, pay a... Yeah, there you go. Of- yeah, thank you, Joe. Uh, you can you can invoice me later if you want, so... Um... Hey, quarter hours are out for Dynamite. Oh, go ahead, yeah. That? Random topic number five. Let's do that. Quarter hours. Um, basically, total viewers was a straight line. Every quarter was over a million. Without, with the exception of the one quarter with all the promos. Dan Lambert, the Owen Hart video... That quarter was 999,000. Oh, Jesus. So it was basically a straight line. Show opened at 1.015 million and ended at 1.0, uh, 1.032 million. And every quarter hour was basically at a million or slightly above in total viewers. The peak in 18 to 49 was Orange Cassidy versus Adam Cole. And the main event was number two in 18 to 49. So. Right where you would expect. Actually, I talked about on Thursday TV reviews, $5 tier, patreon.com slash voice of wrestling. I talked earlier today about that. It really felt like a show that was going to be carried by Adam Cole, the Hangman Danielson promo, and then the main event. And that's exactly what happened here in the 18 to 49. Uh, Low point was Nyla Rose versus Ruby Soho at the top of the hour in the 18 to 49. So, um, yeah, no surprises in the quarter hours. Everything that you would think did well, did any quarter hours, but that would dip. But you really can't say anything dipped. We're basically looking at total viewership was essentially a straight line. And the demo dipped a little for the women's match, but everything else was in the same range. So really nothing interesting to talk about with the quarter hours. There you go. Not a very exciting uh, uh topic for that but uh here here's a question we got from uh, dan here uh i guess it'll it'll, it'll speak to uh, we could probably end the show there yeah we're about five minutes that might be it uh lot, we got a lot of other questions i might actually go in on text re- reply to some of these uh, questions that we couldn't get to on the show because we got like 58 questions or something like that some ungodly number of questions but uh, maybe uh, tomorrow I'll, I'll, I'll if i got some time i'll i'll go there and respond to some of these questions but dan says uh since the hawaii bowl is clearly the best sporting event to watch on christmas eve what's the best on christmas day which i mean I have an answer for that, but Joe, what is your answer? And then I will uh, plug something that you can listen to on Patreon. Uh, you're sneaky. Um, I think that the NBA has taken ownership of Christmas. The thing about the five NBA games on Christmas is anytime that you turn on a TV, there's an NBA game on. And that's really good. See, I'm someone who is going to put some kind of sports on no matter what, any day of the week. I love sports on holidays. And the NBA with the five games – whether you're home opening gifts at fucking noon, whether you're visiting fucking Aunt Sally, whether you're, you know, you're bouncing around on Christmas, uh, you know, visiting, no matter where you are, no matter, you put on a TV, there's going to be an NBA game on until about 11 o'clock. Yeah, 12 p.m. Eastern until basically past midnight, you're going to have basketball. Now, (laughs) are you going to be able to sit there and watch a four-quarter game and get into it? No, it's not that kind of day. But wherever you are and whatever you're doing, are you going to be able to catch a quarter here and there? Absolutely, because it's always there. And 
I love that aspect of it. I love Thanksgiving football. I don't care how bad the Lions are. I, I, I completely disagree with people who think the Lions should be taken off. I, I'm all about the tradition. I love the NBA on Christmas. There's going to be NFL games on Christmas this year. Uh, so, you know, any, I'll watch any sport on a holiday. You're at a family gathering. You got to have the sports on as the background noise. Absolutely. So, yeah. I think that, that's honestly how I became a big NBA fan is, is, uh, you know, I probably would have become an NBA fan no matter what living in Chicago in the nineties or whatever, but like Christmas day, we would go to my aunt's house and, you know, all my moms and her sisters and the grandmas, and they would all be in this one room, you know, chatting and complaining about prices of stuff or whatever in one room. And I'd go to the other room and it's a bunch of the old farts and they're all watching sports and they're all watching basketball. And they all fall asleep. And it was great. I just remember that was the best part of Christmas was just sitting down and them, you know, watching games on, on Christmas day. And that's how I became a huge NBA fan is, and a fan of like all teams, not just the bulls. Like, yeah, the bulls and the Knicks were always, you know, or the bull, you know, there's always some big time marquee bulls game, but like, before and after that, there was always something, you know, it'd be uh, the Phoenix Suns around afterwards. And I was like, oh, cool. Hey, you know, and that's where I really became like a huge NBA fan because I would sit there the whole day and I didn't really want to go and do anything else. And so I just sat and watched basketball all day during that. And uh, it became a, a love affair with basketball from that point forward. So, yeah, I, I, I notice I put... it goes across the time zones that day, too. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's always like a Nuggets game on it. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. So like, this year, this yeah. year and and um, <clears throat> plug a Ruski NBA Intelligentsia will have a preview uh, of everything going on this Christmas day. I can't tell you who's going to play, <laughs> Joe. Because right, right. nobody knows who the fuck's going to play in these games and who's yeah. going to be in protocols or whatever. But I can tell you what teams are going to play uh, and what you yeah. can maybe expect from some of those games, depending on who plays. But, uh, yeah, you got Hawks and Knicks starting us off at uh, 12 p.m. Eastern. Classic. Knicks are always the, the, the afternoon game, which is perfect. Uh, 1.30 or, or 2.30 p.m., you have Bucks celtics and they, and they did Hawks because they want um... – Trey Young and uh, uh, Trey Young at Madison Square Garden, yeah. Yes. Now mm, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Might not happen, but we'll see. They tried. Uh, Celtics and Bucks. That's at the two thirty uh, Central. Uh, Warriors Suns five yeah. p.m. So you got a big marquee Western Conference battle, yeah. and then you got your marquee marquee game at eight p.m. Nets Lakers. Yeah. Depending on who shows up. <laughs> so four games instead of five this year. Nope, five. 9.30, 10.30 p.m., you got the Mavericks and the Jazz. Usually it's the there Nuggets. It Sometimes it was the Clippers. But, yeah, you always have that one that, like, I'm, you know, my eyes are basically starting to close. But I'm I'm still watching. You know what I mean? Like, come on. I've, I've been watching since 11. I'm not going to stop yeah. now. Like, yeah. get out of here. So, yeah, I, I fall asleep to that game every single Christmas. That's the, the way I know that it's Christmas is I fall asleep to whatever the real late, ridiculous, you're like, how, how many games have I watched? I'm, you know. Why is the nurse like, what are you doing? Stop watching basketball. I'm like, no, you know, it's Christmas. You, it's basketball, man. What do you think of the theory that some people have that the NBA season should start with those five Christmas games? Um, I don't I hate str- it. I have a strong opinion on this, but I want to hear your. I first. don't hate it, but I don't. I think the reason why it's cool when it has happened that way, it happened that way last year, obviously because of the COVID season. And it happened that way in, in, in 2011 because of a lockout. And it was awesome, but that made it more organic. If you force it, it's just going to become commonplace, and you're going to lose some of that. The idea is you can own the day, and right. it puts all the attention. They own the, the day anyway. Starting. They own the day anyway. Here's why I'm against it. I don't like ideas that shorten seasons. People that want to shorten seasons aren't fans of the sport. Well, fuck you. You can start watching whenever you want. If I'm a fan of the sport, start watching I want on Christmas Day. Season. Start watching the NBA on Christmas Day. That'd be perfect. 
you know, it's always these casual fans of the sport that are like, ah, baseball plays too many games. Basketball, you don't need 82 games. Well, if I'm a hardcore NBA fan, <laughs> I, I want, want all 82, 82 motherfucker. Yeah. yeah. And if you want 60, then you can jump in in January. Nobody's stopping you. So that's why I'm always against these ideas. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a good idea to start it. But if you want it, if, if you're a person that's not into the NBA and are looking for the entry point, Christmas Day is a perfect time to jump in. Yeah. It's usually marquee teams. It's usually good teams. It's usually title previews. It's rivalries. Yeah, that's a great time to jump in. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not even a hardcore NBA fan, but I think it's insulting to the hardcore NBA fan to say, ah, it's too many games for me. I think it should be 50 games. Well, who are you? You're not, it's <laughs> yeah, not for you. Off. Yeah. If I want to yeah. watch the Charlotte Hornets for 82 games, I want to watch the goddamn Charlotte Hornets for 82 games. So, And I'm going to tell you, all these people that want to shorten the NBA season and shorten the baseball season, you think they're magically going to become hardcore yeah, Now I will things. watch all 60 games of this NBA season. Yeah, get out of here. Oh, 120 baseball games, you say? I'm all in now. No, yeah. you won't be. You're well, you always say if the, game was, if the game was then suddenly two and a half hours, if you could guarantee that every baseball game was two and a half hours, every single person's going to watch, everybody that was like, ah, I don't know, the games are a little too long, are all going to start watching every game? Rich, all of a sudden, all of the teens are going to love baseball. <laughs> oh, it's only two and a half hours? Yeah. Oh, I'm in. <laughs> Sounds right, good. Because the games are 15 minutes shorter. No, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> right. These people are just jerks that want to ruin your fun. Yeah. I'm currently really watching the Charlotte Hornets and the Denver Nuggets before Christmas, and I want to keep it that way. So don't change my season. Yeah. It's like these people who are like, Lucha shouldn't be two out of three falls. Why? <laughs> right. Like, I might think so, but who gives a shit what I think? I'm yeah. Not gonna... I'm not Mexican. I, I didn't grow up a Lucha. Like, like, who are you to, to say what Lucha should be? You know, stick, keep your nose out of Lucha and I'll keep my nose out of the NBA and you keep your nose out of my baseball and just let people enjoy the shit for what it is because you're a casual fan. Like if CMLL did away with best of three, (laughs) I'm not all of a sudden watching every CMLL show. Yeah. These people who complain about that aren't going to all of a sudden be giant CMLL fans. I mean, so, you know. It's just, uh, yeah, it's people sticking in their nose where it don't belong. Yeah. Anyway, that's my take. On don't NBA do it. Yeah. Christmas. No, don't do it. Start in October because the NBA is for the NBA fan. And yeah. the NBA hardcore fan, why should they get less games? They want the 82 games. Damn right I do. Yeah. Anyway, NBA Intelligentsia, that should come out uh, hopefully uh, tomorrow. I'll have it out tomorrow. Uh, previewing all the Christmas games in the NBA. So we do that every single year uh, in this little Christmas NBA Intelligentsia. So that will be out. Uh, tomorrow at patreon.com slash voice wrestling. I'm a little bit behind on some of the other series I was planning on doing as well, but hopefully the next uh, couple weeks uh, we can catch up as now the holidays are, are behind us and finally have time to do other stuff besides dumb <laughs> Christmas stuff and Hall of Fame shows and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, Joe, this is a lot of fun. I, I, uh, I, I don't got, know if the uh, listeners will enjoy it, but... Uh... Yeah, yeah, wacky show. Who knows? Um, I've got uh, uh, five more mat The final match reviews of 2021 coming out either late tonight or early Friday. It'll be the, my final batch of 2021 matches. That's $10 tier, because that's written content. There is a five-star match in that batch of matches. There you go. Also, uh, I, I should note, uh, when we're talking about matches and, and, and talking about the Christmas season, uh, match of the week this week on, on Patreon.com slash Voices Wrestling, Santa Claus. And that's many right. people that did not know about Santa Claus existing. So that was, uh, that was fun to... Uh, See people be like, "What the hell is this?" I always, I kind of thought everybody knew about Santa Claus, but no, apparently a bunch of people didn't. It, so, match of the week, a new match every Monday. Talk about it behind the paywall or on our Discord. Behind our, it's in a locked room where you have to be, yeah, paying customer to discuss the match. Lots of really good discussions. I've been happy with that project 
because every time we put a matchup on a Monday, it always gets uh, a couple days worth of good discussion. People discovering stuff, people uh, talking about the matches, and I try to mix it up to where I'm bouncing all over eras and, and styles and promotions. Yeah, it forces you to kind of think too, which is fun, and, yeah. and, and watch stuff that you might get out of your comfort zone too. And yeah, I, I'm sure uh, I've loved it. I've watched every single match, and, and I don't participate in the discussions all that much because like when I go there... I'm thinking, all right, you know, I'm going to watch this match and I'm going to have to. But then I look and there's like 700 people talking about it. I'm like, all right, cool. I don't even need to say anything because people are talking about it already. And that that's that's really fun. Yeah, it's it's been way more successful than I thought it would be. Uh, yeah. Not that I was, you know, didn't think it was going to be good. But like it's 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 way exceeded my expectations of what I thought people were going to. People love it. So it's, people it's like been a lot talking of fun. about matches. Man. Yeah. They, they, you know, and, and wrestling fans it, like wrestling. It's it's weird. If it if it hadn't if people weren't talking about the matches, I'd stop doing it. But, you know, it. Every time I put up a match, it generates a day or two of a really good discussion. And I like when it when people are like, wow, you know, I've never seen this person wrestle or I've right. never been exposed to this era of wrestling. I mean, that's that's always a lot of fun, too. So um, that's on the uh, the five dollar tier. And that's uh, every Monday. A new match goes up. There you go. So that is it. Patreon.com slash Voice Wrestling. Flagship Patreon.com as well. Uh, we did the Secret Santa uh, right now. And if, if you like wrestling matches and people talking about wrestling matches, uh, Voice of Wrestling. We have a bunch of uh, the Secret Santas going on right now uh, on the website there. So that's basically contributors to the website gifting each other uh, wrestling matches. So it's been a lot of fun. A lot of really, really fun matches up there too. And most of the matches, I would say, oh, actually all of them are, are free to watch as well. We put a, a, an embed uh, in the post. So you'll be able to read. Uh, and watch uh, all those matches but uh, yeah that's it for us so um, we'll be back I think next week uh, how does that schedule work out I don't know how the uh, holidays that fall that would be the, be the 30th yeah that would be the 30th yeah alright yeah. no, so reason, no not reason not to, not to yeah, yeah no reason not to be back so we'll, uh, hopefully there's some wrestling to talk about or else we have to get wacky again but uh, well we got Final Gate yeah we'll, we'll review and we'll preview Wrestle oh fuck yeah Wrestle Kingdom would be the next yeah of course that'll be a big show that's next a big week. show hell yeah oh god yeah. gotta get ready for that one all right, so that is it for us. So for Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Krejci. Uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas, Joe. Hope you and your family have a great uh, holiday. And uh, hope everybody stays safe, has fun, open some fun presents. Rich doesn't know how to end the show. That's I don't know happening. how to end the show. So I'm just going to let uh, the Christmas music that has been playing for the last three hours fade out. That's not true. It just started like five, like a minute ago. So anyway, we're done. Bye. <laughs>